BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. You can have co anchors on a newscast, you can have co pilots on an airplane, but can you have co Pac 12 Conference Coach of the Year Award recipients? become the question to ask on social media and maybe off the top of the show today is Jonathan Smith at Oregon State nine and three record this season with the Beavers rags to riches story probably does uh, more with less than anybody in the Pac-12 even though Oregon State doesn't want that to be their story Jonathan Smith being named co-coach of the year with Washington coach Kalen DeBoer who took over a four and eight program and took him to a 10-win season. 10-2 and two at Washington, 9-3 and three at Oregon State. Pac-12 coaches were asked to vote on this. The uh, announcement today from the Pac-12 conference that they are co-coaches of the year. I had the news, got tipped off just a couple minutes before the release, and I, uh, I sort of nodded and went, you know what, that makes sense. Those two guys were better than anybody else. Lincoln Riley may have had more regular season wins at USC, but, you know, he had a lot more talent. Uh, could have a lot of other coaches won with Caleb Williams at quarterback? Probably. Kyle Whittingham won the conference championship game on Friday. The coaches' votes weren't due till Monday, and I kind of wondered if Whittingham would get votes. I'm told he did, but he did not win the award. Uh, the way it worked in the Pac-12 conference was that you couldn't vote for yourself. So nobody voting for themselves. Uh, the Lane Kiffin rule that was instituted many years ago in the Pac-12. No, you're not allowed to vote for yourself. Uh, you must pick two other coaches in the conference to vote for. We're dying to know who the coaches voted for. Like Dan Lanning, who did he put one, who did he put two? He lost to both Washington and Oregon State. Which of those two coaches did Dan Lanning put in his one position? Uh, but the it was a weighted vote, so the first place uh, person got two points, second place person got one point. Kyle Whittingham got some points in this vote, I'm told by a source at the Pac-12 headquarters. But it was uh, Kayla DeBoer and Jonathan Smith in a dead heat for Coach of the Year. Now there's some people belly aching in the Seattle market. They're belly aching, and they always do that they have to share the award with a coach in Corvallis. Uh, Jonathan Smith, Kalen DeBoer getting co-coach of the year awards. Others around the conference mostly going, hey, yeah, it was impossible to break that tie. Uh, but the conference coaches voted. The points were even, I'm told. It was a dead heat. The conference declared it a tie. They gave both guys the award. Jonathan Smith can trot it out. He'll collect $25,000 bonus in his contract. He will not have to share that with Kalen DeBoer. Don't ask me that. Kalen DeBoer will also get a $25,000 bonus from his contract that's in both coaching contracts. You and I will get nothing but the satisfaction of debating who should have got the award. 503-417-7575. I want to kick these around. Who should have been coach of the year? You get to break the tie as a listener of this show. You tell me, should it have been Jonathan Smith? And if you're a Beaver fan, be objective. Kalen DeBoer took over a program that was 4-8 and eight under Jimmy Lake. Had no momentum, left for dead, recruited a quarterback in Michael Penix Jr., who might have been the best offensive player in the conference. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State has 
quietly resurrected the Oregon State program, going from 2-10 and 10 to a bowl game last year, now to a nine-win season and a win over Oregon. Oregon State uh, very close to a major breakthrough. If they had a quarterback, 10 wins, 11 wins. They don't have a quarterback, and it makes what Jonathan Smith has done even more remarkable. If you're a Duck fan, I want you to break the tie. If you're a Beaver fan, I want you to break the tie. If you have no dog in this fight, help us break this tie. Tell us who should have won the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. If you have the deciding vote, where does it go? I'll give you my vote coming up. We'll also talk about the other awards in the conference, the Offensive Player of the Year, the Pat Tillman Defensive Player of the Year, uh, the Freshman of the Year, Damian Martinez on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, and, and by the way, I've got some burning questions as it pertains to what happens now. Transfer Portal continues to be active and bubbling with talent. Coaches, uh, you know, going and jumping around, moving universities as staffs begin to be filled out in across college football. But we're breaking ties and having fun on this show today. Guests on the show today, Jack Coletto will be with us, Oregon State's star Swiss Army Knife. Offensive player, defensive player, Jack Coletto on the show. We'll ask him about Jonathan Smith. What's it like to play for that guy? Later in the program, John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News. We'll talk about the awards in general. We'll talk about the upcoming decision on UCLA, December 14th. There's going to be a major decision that gets made that impacts whether or not UCLA will stay in this conference uh, or whether they will leave. We'll talk about Portland State. Are any of you out there thinking it's time for Portland State to make a change? I get a couple emails on that front. I don't think they will. I think Bruce Barnum's going to be the guy at Portland State. But I'll tell you why I think it's an important uh, uh, move here from John Johnson, the athletic director, to give Bruce Barnum his support and a vote of confidence. We'll talk about that on today's show. Plus, uh, we will set the stage for tomorrow's festivities. Are you somebody who enjoys a good auction? Are you somebody who enjoys supporting kids in the community? Are you somebody who's looking for a unique Christmas gift, a one-of-a-kind VIP experience? You want to be on TV on KGW? Well, we got an opportunity for you to do that. You want to uh, be on the sideline for next year's Oregon-Portland uh, State game, uh, the season opener next year for Dan Lanning's team and Bruce Barnum's team? Oh, yeah, we got some sideline passes we're going to auction off tomorrow. Uh, how about courtside blazer seats, plus a whole bunch of other VIP, unique, one-of-a-kind, special experiences. So if you're somebody who's into the experiential thing, talking to my millennials now, uh, we got something for you on tomorrow's program. Uh, back in studio, we got Steven. We got a chorus of people who want to weigh in on this. I want to hear from Judah. I want to hear from Peter. Guys, tell me what you make of Jonathan Smith and Kalen DeBoer sharing the Pac-12 Coach of the Year honors. Break the tie. Uh, yeah, if I have to break the tie, I'm going to give it to DeBoer. And I think it's just because you go back and you look at that game in Seattle on Friday, Washington gets the win over Oregon State. And that's really the only reason. Because I do think both are very deserving. But the way Washington was playing at the end of the season, they did get the win over Oregon State. I do think that would be the tiebreaker in my mind. You know, if Jonathan Smith was named the coach of the year, it would be a great call, but I think Kalen DeBoer just edges him out, so my vote would go uh, to DeBoer of Washington.
See, I'm going to go the other way. And, I mean, going 4-8 and eight to 10-2, and two, it's, it's super impressive. But, man, he had Michael Penix Jr. The Beavers did not have a quarterback, uh, at least a superstar quarterback, no disrespect to Ben Goldbrinson, especially, who went 6-1. and one. But they were a QB away from winning, what, 10, 11 games? So, in my mind, and maybe, you know, I try not to be biased, but I've seen a lot more of what Oregon State's done over the last, you know, four years under Jonathan Smith. He's my coach of the year. I'm going to go Jonathan Smith. I'm going to go uh, for that reason. Uh, my reason is really tied to the fact that I think he did more with less. And and I, I noticed that Lincoln Riley got penalized in this conversation. And I understand why. Like the coaches in the conference basically said, hey, you've got the offensive player of the year. Uh, they voted a USC player inexplicably worst defense in the conference, defensive player of the year. Uh, the coaches basically said, hey, we think you have the best talent. So if that was the criteria, this is easy for me. I think Washington had far, far more talent than Oregon State. And I think Oregon State played them punch for punch in Husky Stadium on that Friday night in a very close game, a three-point game, on a windy, blustery Friday night. I'll give it to Jonathan Smith if I have to break the tie. But I'm not one of these people who needs to break the tie. I, I heard people on social media saying this is a participation award. You know, why Why not just uh, give everybody the Coach of the Year award? I think that's crap. It, that's not what the coaches did. The coaches basically said, here's our one, here's our two, and the points came out even. So they had equal numbers of first-place votes and second-place votes. Kyle Whittingham did get some votes. The only question I had for the Pac-12, and they won't answer this, is how many votes did Kyle Whittingham get? Because I would like to go back to the voters who voted for Kyle Whittingham and ask them, if you had to put DeBoer or Smith on your ballot, where would you put them? We might be able to break the tie if we did that. But uh, the uh, Pac-12 seems to be okay with this being a tie, and I'm okay with this being a tie because this isn't determining who's going to the playoff. This isn't determining who's getting to the Rose Bowl. This is just, hey, who was the best coach this year? There are some years where it's just split. It doesn't have to be a boxing match. Would you have a problem if it was the offensive player of the year that was co-offensive player? So Michael Penix, Caleb Williams are co-offensive player of the years. Would that matter, or is it only the fact that it's the coach that is the co that you don't have a problem with? It uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't matter to me on the award. The awards don't matter to me as much as, like, if are we picking who's going to the Rose Bowl? And, oh, it's a tie. Both teams can't. You can't do that. But – these are just awards that people are going to forget about in a year or a month or a week. And so it's like a barstool debate, essentially. And I'm okay if people think, like, hey, uh, Jonathan Smith, Kalen DeBoer, even, it's a dead heat. I'm okay if that's your take. I think in most cases it should be very unusual that you have a dead heat. And I don't have that in any other position in the award category. So let's rip through those. The Offensive Player of the Year went to Caleb Williams at USC. And I agreed with this one. And I thought Michael Penix Jr. might slip in there. I thought Bo Nix might get some votes. But the Trojans don't go 11-1 in the regular season without him. And if he doesn't get hurt in the conference title game, he, he ends up, USC ends up winning this thing. There was nobody who was more valuable to their team and more successful than Caleb Williams. I don't like the guy. I didn't like what he painted on his nails. Uh, I think Michael Penix Jr. is sensational. I think Bo Nix was really good. I, I was talking about Bo Nix for the Heisman in midseason. But I think in the end, i got to be honest with myself, and I think that the uh, winner of this award is the guy who deserved it. You guys uh, agree with that? Yeah, I agree 100%. I think Caleb Williams should have been the guy. I mean, he, he basically beat Michael Penix Jr. in every statistical category except for passing yards, but average yards per attempt, touchdowns, rushing yards, 
Everything else was Caleb Williams, and I'm with you. Without Caleb Williams and USC, I mean, this team probably is a eight-win team. Like he really won a lot of games for that USC team, and really, you know, became the face of the program. Like you talk about how you didn't really like the nails and his attitude, which is understandable. I think a lot of people don't. I don't like it, but it really fits the USC culture, right? And so I think he really like painted himself on there as the USC guy, and he was he was the guy all year season long. So. I have no arguments with that, um, and I would have been—I would have been a big disagreement if Michael Penix Jr. actually was offensive player of the year. I would have thought it'd been petty, like you know, it would have been an anti-USC vote. I don't think we got that here, Peter. You agree with Caleb Williams? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, props to Bo Nix, props to Michael Penix Jr., but Caleb Williams, man, I had questions about this team. Was everyone, all these stars, going to be able to click together? No doubt they did. He was the engine that made him go. Pat Tillman, Defensive Player of the Year, went to Tuli Tuipaluto, the uh, USC line pass rusher. Let's call him a pass rusher. It's going to call him a linebacker, but let's call him a pass rusher. And he had 12 and a half sacks. Uh, really impressive. Uh, but I have a question here. Like, can the Defensive Player of the Year really be a guy who played for a bad defense? And the 12 and a half sacks that he got, really good pass rusher. Nothing against that. But USC was ahead in all these games and playing a lot of games against teams like, you know, Colorado and Cal and others where he got to tee off and come up with a bunch of sacks. So I think he benefited immensely from the fact that he had the offensive player of the year on the other side of the ball, putting pressure on other teams to throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. I was surprised it didn't go to Clark Phillips III, the Utah cornerback. He was the most impactful defensive player in the conference. I talked to Ron Stone Jr., the Washington State pass rusher, at the Pac-12 championship game. He was there. He was hanging out in the press box. Okay, He's current player at Washington State. I sat with him, and I talked to him at halftime for about 15 minutes. And I said to him, who do you think the best defensive player in this conference is? He talked about Clark Phillips III. He said, you don't see that guy getting a bunch of plays, unless you're Oregon State, because people don't even bother to throw at him. It's the opposite of Tui Peloto's stats, which I think are inflated because USC was ahead. I think teams avoided, for the most part, throwing at Clark Phillips third, and to me, that's the defensive player of the year. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you want to go just best overall player, it may be Christian Gonzalez of Oregon, but it's the same, yeah. same debate of can you give the defensive player of the year to a team that didn't have a great defense? And I agree with you. I think it's got to be on a better defense. And so I think Clark Phillips III should have been it over uh, Thule. But I, like you said, Thule had a great year, a lot of sacks, a lot of production. But that defense of USC was definitely the Achilles heel. Um, I agree with you 100% on that. Freshman offensive player of the year went to Damian Martinez. Uh, Oregon State. Uh, by the way, Damian Martinez only had three scholarship offers out of high school. Oregon State, Kansas, and Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm a little concerned that uh, Damian Martinez will become a target of uh, some SEC schools and others because of his ties to the state of Texas. But let's talk about what he did. I think he was the easy call for the Freshman Offensive Player of the Year. There's not another freshman, by the way, on either the first team or the second team on offense or defense. So um, as I look at, you know, Damian Martinez's uh, case for Offensive Player of the Year, it's it's a home run. Nobody else is close. Six straight 100-yard rushing games. Came very close to rushing for 1,000 yards. I think he finished with 960. Easy call for me. 
Yeah, Damian Martinez, he was awesome, especially, you know, like you said, at the end of the year when he really took over that running back position. Um, he was awesome. You know, 970 yards, uh, and he needs obviously 30 more when he'd be the fourth Oregon State freshman to reach 1,000 yards in this season. He was awesome this year, and I, you know, it is a, it is a fear that he could leave and go somewhere else because he's been so big and so good for this Oregon State team down the stretch. You know, basically, we talked about this with no quarterback. He was the guy that was winning games for the Beavers. So, you know, got to keep him in the Corvallis, but he was awesome. He definitely deserves it. Yeah, I can't even think of a, another freshman to even maybe Jay not at, at Cal. But, I mean, it wasn't just the numbers uh, with Martinez. Man, he was so clutch. It was timely touchdowns. It was third down runs that they really needed. This was a runaway. Yeah, I think uh, he gets it. He gets it in a runaway, as you said. And I looked up and down the first team and second teams. You got some sophomores. There's not a true freshman anywhere near the first team or the second team. And when you look at the running backs, you know, he made first team offense. Uh, Jack Charbonnet, the uh, senior at UCLA, is the other first team running back. Travis Dye is a second teamer. Valade at Arizona State is a second teamer as well. But Damian Martinez uh, is a sensational back and a true freshman. So. Uh, I, I expect the damn collective at Oregon State to make Damian Martinez their, their first uh, target as far as retention. Keep an eye on that. Le, uh, Land, Lander Barton is the is the uh, defensive player of the year uh, from Utah. And uh, I think, you know, I don't have an argument there. He, uh, you know, as far as a freshman goes, you've got, uh, you know, Lander is a guy who played in all 12 games. He had uh, four and a half sacks, led the team uh, you know, with, among freshmen in the conference. He had 36 tackles. Uh, you know, Not a sensational performer, but a great athlete who's going to have a great career. And I think the coaches on the other team see this guy coming and know what kind of trajectory he's got. Great athlete. And look at Utah at the end of the year. They had a quarterback playing running back. They were on their second and third tight ends. Barton played tight end and linebacker in high school, and I kind of started wondering when I saw that championship game, if one of the tight ends goes down, how far away are they from sticking Barton on the offensive side of the ball? He's that good an athlete. He's a Christian Gonzalez-like athlete. But uh, congrats to him. I have no qualms there. I think the coaches mostly got it right. And, again, we're nitpicking here. But my biggest beef is with the defensive player of the year. Like, I just – I'm looking at USC's defense, and I think, you know, Tui Peloto had – so much of an advantage in that other teams were just, you know, woefully behind USC for most of the year. He just pinned his ears back and went after sacks. And, oh, by the way, USC's defense not very good, so it wasn't like other guys on that defensive line were getting sacks. So he was getting them all. It was like a, you know, it was like having Charles Barkley rebounding on a bad team. So I think, you know, he's going to get 20 rebounds. So I think, Tui, you know, Tui Peloto is a good player. He's going to have a good NFL career, but I kind of – I went, eh, I don't know. I don't know a defensive player of the year. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about the the transfer portal. I've been thinking about the portal, and I talked to a former NFL player, Hugh Millen, the uh, Washington former Washington quarterback and a guy who played the NFL, ended up on a phone call with him talking about what can be done to keep players from jumping in the portal, what can be done from NIL, from an NIL perspective, from keeping the collectives from just buying players. Um, and I've got some new thoughts on Deion Sanders and the impact he could have in the Pac-12. I want you to leave it here. we got Jack Coletto coming up, John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Great show, a lot of calls today. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Okay, so uh, this morning, Anna comes to me and says, uh, hey, uh, we're expecting a package. It's a Christmas gift for the uh, college sophomore. And apparently they tried to deliver yesterday, and there was nobody available to sign for it. So apparently it's a nice gift, right? Right. So there's nobody available to sign for it. So Anna says to me this morning... I was working, I was writing, I was prepping for the show, and she says, hey, um, uh, you listen for the door. If somebody knocks on the door, rings the door, because I don't know if you guys do this, like sometimes if somebody knocks, I'm not expecting somebody, I don't go to the door. Like, I don't go to check it. Like, and Anna says, so make sure that uh, you answer the door if somebody comes to the door. And so uh, I uh, waited did not go anywhere this morning, was afraid to leave the house, got a little paranoid a couple times, went to the front to look out the window, make sure nobody was left, like, standing out there. You ever do that? Do you ever get told that? And then sometimes you start hearing things, like you start hearing, oh, is that a knock? Did somebody ring the doorbell? Um, and uh, a couple of times I heard, I heard trucks. I heard a truck out in the front. I came to the door and looked, and nothing there, and... Then uh, later, I started working uh, on the Pac-12 uh, Coach of the Year. I wrote a little piece at johnconzano.com about the Pac-12 Coach of the Year honors and uh, why it's okay that these guys split and all this stuff. And uh, then the show started, and so I texted Anna, and I said, hey, uh, just a heads up, you know, I'm going into the studio. You're losing your door monitor, 3 o'clock. And I said, nobody showed up to this point. Guess what the response text that I got was 17 minutes later? Hmm. Be on the lookout. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. They they dropped it off. She happened to catch it and forgot to told me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> My whole day. I didn't take a shower until like, you know, 2.30 in the, in the afternoon because I was afraid to miss this package. And I was like, you know what? I'm running out of time. And... And even when I went to take a shower, we have cameras everywhere. I put, like, my phone with the camera of the front porch, like, by the shower so I wouldn't miss the package delivery. Do I have a right to have a beef here? <laughs> She's just keeping on your toes. It was a dry run for the next 10 days as we get close to Christmas. Yeah, I mean, a, it's not a major beef, but I would be a little per, a little peeved. I I'm feel a, like it was a test. It was a test. and But you passed. That's <laughs> did I pass? You passed, though. That's the thing. You yeah. can You have... You know, proof that you were looking out for it. So, I think that uh, I think that you can use this and maybe parlay it into something better with Anna. Yeah. You know, maybe I like how later. you think. Thank I you. like how you think. Thank you. I I texted her. She said, "Oh, I'm sorry. They dropped it off and left. I brought it inside and I forgot to tell you. Uh, it happened while you were writing the Pac-12 Coach of the Year thing. Came out at one o'clock. So apparently, it happened between one and one thirty. And uh, then she took off to get the kids from school." She didn't tell me, and I texted her. I said, you know, I did not leave the house today because I was waiting for that package, and uh, there you go. I'm agoraphobic because of this. Like, you know, hopefully, uh, maybe I can, I think Steven's got the right tactic, though. I shouldn't be mad about it. Like, honest mistake, she didn't tell me, but I can parlay this into something else. Maybe at 4 o'clock when she pops on the show, I can give her a hard time about it. Jack Coletto's coming up. Oregon State's Swiss Army Knife. Uh, I want to talk to him about the bowl game. How important is the Las Vegas Bowl? How important is it to Oregon State's players? 
Plus, uh, Neon Dion, he doesn't like to be called that anymore, so we'll call him Primetime or Coach Prime, uh, is uh, filling out his staff at Colorado, and he's got, uh, he's got some familiar faces on the staff. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. Are the Beavers excited about the Vegas Bowl and the return of Willie Taggart to the Pac-12? All of that still ahead. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm all fired up about our next guest. I love having him on. I love talking about Grandma's spaghetti sauce, his plans for the holidays, and some college football. Oregon State's uh, Jack Coletto, linebacker. Quarterback, running back, uh, all-around guy, uh, a uh, a foodie as it turns out for Italian uh, Italian pasta sauce, man of the world. What else can we call Jack Coletto? Uh, let's bring him on. Hey, how are you feeling about Jonathan Smith, Coach of the Year? Rapid reaction. What was your reaction when you heard that? I mean, I don't know why it was co-coach of the year. It should be just Coach of the Year, but either way, I'm fired up for him. What makes him? What makes him good at his job? Establishing a winning culture. If you're, yeah, yeah, would be the, that'd be the quickest answer. Yeah. Yeah. So give me an idea, because you were there when the culture got established. Is it? Was it? His words? Was it his actions? Was uh, you know that first meeting that he had? What you know? What was it about him? Um, it was. It had to be the actions. As when he comes in. You know, on a day-to-day basis, it's like he's always a man of his word and also bringing in people that believe in this program and believe that we can win. You know, he implemented that and got a lot of people that could do that. And from there, the culture just, you know, started to grow and blew up from there, and that's where it's at now. It's funny because, you know, you hear leaders all the time, they'll say, hey, they'll write books about this is the most important part of leadership or that's the most important part, and, and um, I get I get the impression that the guys who play for Jonathan Smith feel like that he's kind of in it with them. Am I reading that right? Do you feel like you know all along that you know he's in there with you? Oh yeah, I'd agree with that. He's definitely a players' coach, and he's he, he always takes in the players' input too. So I think that's probably the aspect that makes the players feel like he's involved with us because it's not so much of a chain of command me tell you to do this then you do it and therefore that's going to make us good it's kind of like we're in this thing together bowl game coming up is jack coletto playing in the bowl game do you know yet is jack coletto playing in the bowl game of course jack coletto's playing in the bowl game (laughs) absolutely was that even a question like did you have to ask some people do you talk to your people they talk to his people like how does that that decision get made it, it got me when I said, I'm playing in this bowl game. <laughs> um, I, I get the impression this one means something. Like, you know, in getting 10 wins, being in Vegas, playing an SEC opponent, kind of feel like this game means something to you guys. Oh, it definitely does, especially on the national stage. And, I mean, we don't need to make it bigger than it needs to be. It's You know, it's another, it's another game against a good opponent. We've played several this year, but... We're definitely excited for the opportunity, and our ultimate goal when we go down there is to win the ball game. And you know, we're going to have fun doing that. I'm not going to, you know, lie to you about that one. But 
we understand what the ultimate goal is. I want you to take – you're a smart guy, okay? I want you to take the 20,000-foot view of college bowl season with me. I, I, got, a, I got an idea, and I think that, you know, there are going to be some guys who opt out because maybe they're a high draft pick. Maybe, uh, you know, their agent is telling them, hey, don't do this. You know, it's too big a risk for you. There's going to be that crowd that you're never going to change their mind on whether or not they should play in a bowl game. But would – do you think it would help if some of the sponsors of bowl games said to teams, look, we've got a pool of money. We're going to pay uh, you know, $10,000 a player for participating in this game you know, as a reward. It'll kind of be an NIL thing. These are games are sponsored anyway. The bowl reps are making money. They have money. Jack Coletto, would you, would you support that? Do you think that would keep some guys that may opt out from opting out, or are they – are they uh, speaking another language? Oh, gosh. Let me think about that for a little bit. I mean, it's obviously a great idea to entertain. Yeah. And, I mean, the real question is is where are the players opting out getting their information from? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't really had agents tell me, oh, you should opt out of this game. And even if they did, I wasn't going to. But, I mean, who knows? It's like it could change the agent's perspective on things. And, you know, maybe that money – means something to the players at the moment. So I think it'd honestly be a good trial to run and see how it goes. Yeah, I'd try it. Like in the Vegas Bowl, Ten grand to every player. Let's see what happens. Do you get fewer guys opting out? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But it's worth an experiment. Jack Coletto is with us, Oregon State linebacker. Um, let, let's talk about that process. There's a bowl game to be played. There's a pro career on the horizon for you. How do you navigate that? Who do you lean on for advice? How do you decide, you know, if you're going with an agency or whatnot, and who is that? How do you make all those decisions? It's so funny because we've had a few players come through here and talk about, you know, just being a player like Steven Jackson. And there's a few times I asked him about the process, and he kind of brought up the point, like, you really don't know what you're doing, but ultimately that's okay. As, As long as you know what to look for and where to look and what questions to ask, you, you will ultimately find the answers you need and make it through. But for me, like my immediate family, this is I'm the first person that will be in the NFL draft, draft process. So ultimately it's all this experience and everything I'm going to get is going to be on my own. So ultimately I'm just, I don't really, I don't really know exactly what I'm doing, but it's, you know, I can kind of understand, you know, who's really, out there for my benefit. I have a little bit of an idea on the questions to ask. And, you know, you come in with your set of sense of values and you just kind of go from there. But it's a messy process. It's just about learning and improving as you go along. I think it's interesting because I think the same thing might be able to be said about a lot of high, highly recruited high school players that they kind of don't know what they're getting into. They go through the process and maybe – Maybe that's why we see so many guys in the transfer portal, because we see guys that a year or two or three years later know a lot more about college football. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, the one thing I'll say is, and this is something I value a lot, the biggest thing is relationships. And you need to understand who you're going to spend time with the most when it comes to getting recruited to the next level. And you you just need to be able to build a relationship with the people you're going to be spending time with. And, 
being able to meet and learn about them and know who they are as people before you make your decision is really important. I was talking to a uh, former NFL player today about the transfer portal and name image likeness, and he's a big fan of kind of letting the market establish itself and sort of said that, look, um, everyone's freaking out because there's so many players and they're, we're all worried about NIL, but let the system kind of settle down. What do you think this is going to look like, Jack Coletto, in five or ten years when we look back at college football? Gosh. It's funny because I was asked this question, like what this transfer portal, NIL, this stuff was a good idea or not to me. Like none of us really know yet because we haven't really – gone through it long enough to really understand the true consequences of everything. And there's always going to be good and bad for both, but to see what it's going to be like in five to ten years from now, I mean, I'd be lying if I told you. I'd, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously goods and bads to it right now, but what develops from it, I mean, who knows? Anything's possible, really. You've practiced a lot and probably tackled Damian Martinez a handful of times, a number of times in practice. What makes that kid good? Oh, gosh. I mean, the moment he stepped on campus, you knew there was some serious potential in regards to his athletic abilities. But, I mean, if you really start to look beyond the surface and the type of way he prepares for games and the way he trains, I mean, he he gets after it the training and, you know, developing and stuff like that. So, and he's obviously done that throughout his high school career and now he's carrying it on to his OSU career. So when you start to see all of those accomplishments and success, it's like as soon as he stepped in the building and really spring ball, it's like I knew this guy was going to be something special. So to see him get these awards, it's definitely awesome to see, but it doesn't really surprise me just because it's like the body of work that was put in before he even got here and the type of guy he is and player he is. I mean, it's well-deserved. Something struck me in watching the running backs in general this season, you know, whether it was Deshaun Fenwick or or uh, Damian or even other guys, um, is just how hard they run. Is it more about who Oregon State's recruiting or how they're coaching them, or is that stuff infectious? When one guy's running hard, everybody runs hard, or, or does that happen when you know you have an offensive line up there that is going to make things happen in front of you? I believe it's a combination of things, but, I mean, if you were to really try and pinpoint it down to one thing, I honestly believe it's the culture. Like, when the offensive line's blowing guys off the ball, other people see that. The running back might see it. So then he starts running running harder, and then when he starts running harder, it just kind of goes, you know, just passes down along the chain. And even during practice, it's like on defense, it's like we pride ourselves on being physical. It's really two very physical groups going after each other on defense. And when you – implement that and continue to throw that then you start playing other teams it's like oh gosh that's like we are pretty darn physical up front we can get some things done you've got a career in front of you there's a bunch of other guys that are off to to uh, the nfl and other places and uh, life after this season uh it is there's some concern with the fan base that losing guys like you and Jaden grant and some others will will cause uh, Oregon State to take a step back next year. What do you say to those fans? Well, let's look at Damian Martinez and Jack Belling and the impact the freshmen have made and, and plus the class that's coming in this next year. So it's like it's just an endless cycle when you got a lot of guys you've been here for a while end up leaving, but you have a lot of young guys who've 
understood the standards and expectations and being able to implement that for the younger guys. That's how you create something here. And I think we've been able to do that successfully. Caleb Williams or Michael Penix Jr. In Jack Coletto's mind, who was the better offensive player? Oh, gosh. <sighs> There's no wrong answer. I mean, it's 1A, 1B, it's, maybe. I, I don't know, but, you know. I'm thinking about it because it's hard to, like, decipher from the two because it's obviously two different situations when we play, play them. Well, granted, they did end the game in a similar fashion, driving down for the team to win, but... Oh, man. I mean, I can't really give an answer on that one just because there's similarities. It's like both have strong arms, very athletic, can do a lot of things. Which of of those two last drives would you like to replay? (laughs) Like redo or? I can give you one of those drives back. Do Do you put yourself on the field at Husky Stadium on that windy night? the chance to stop them from driving, you know, on you guys? Or do I put you at Reeser Stadium against USC and Caleb Williams, give you guys another shot to stop them? USC. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say USC. That was pretty easy, wasn't it? Yeah. When you think about it, it's like it's your own home turf. You got to defend your home turf, so. Well, uh, you got a Vegas Bowl coming up. Uh, you got some prep to do yourself. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have fun with it. Uh, I've enjoyed having you on the show, and I know people have enjoyed getting to know you. Uh, dot com. if you want to check out his his line of apparel. And uh, I, I, I get emails from people, Jack, who say, you know, we're wearing our jackhammer gear watching the game, and uh, it's listeners of the show. So I appreciate you coming on and letting people get to know you this season. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it's definitely been fun, and I'm glad it hasn't always been just strictly about football. I can talk about food and stuff because everyone loves food. Yeah. Hey, hey, by the way, you got finals right now, or what is that like for a guy who, uh, you know, do you – are you taking yoga like Jaden Grant? And, what you know, what's your class schedule like right now? As much as I'd like to say I'm taking yoga, I'm not taking yoga right now. So <laughs> let's just say finals is almost over with, and I won't have to worry about it ever again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, amen to that. All right, listen, we'll get you back on maybe around the bowl game or uh, perhaps as you're preparing for the NFL draft. But uh, good luck to you in the game. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Jack Coletto, there he is, linebacker, Oregon State. Where's he going to end up in the NFL? I wouldn't be surprised to see him as a fullback in the NFL. Maybe a linebacker. Who knows? I think there's a place for him on an NFL roster. I think he'll play. Uh, Good stuff from Jack Coletto. Our big splash is coming up uh, at 4 o'clock. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. We'll talk about the Pac-12, particularly what's going to happen with UCLA on December the 14th as uh, their fate will be decided ultimately. Final answer? Uh, Yeah, I'm asking. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Tomorrow's program will be raising money to help kids. Sports, music, art, drama, education. Uh, I want to thank uh, the radio station that you're listening to, wherever you're listening, 
for uh, supporting the BFT Foundation. Uh, this is a collective effort. Uh, the team at uh, Alpha Media in Portland, the team at Fox Sports Eugene in Eugene, the team uh, at 9.60 a.m. in Klamath Falls and in 14.90 a.m. in Roseburg, everybody on board. And so if you're listening, uh, you know, uh, thank those radio stations that you're listening to because I do. Because every year I say, hey, look, we like to uh, carve out a day where we raise some money. We do a regular radio show, like Jonathan Smith will be on tomorrow's show. I'll effort Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show as well. And uh, But we do a regular show, but we also you know, set aside some time on those shows to raise money for kids and the BFT Foundation. And we auction off a bunch of auction items. We'll have them. You'll be able to tell you where to look for them if you're looking for a Christmas gift or you just want to see a cool VIP once-in-a-lifetime experience. We do all of that, and we do it tomorrow, and it doesn't happen without you, and it doesn't happen without the radio station you're listening to caring about the community. So uh, make sure that you recognize that the station you're listening to is a partner in your community. And I think that's one of the things that makes radio stations better than a lot of other media entities. I've worked at them all, okay? But radio stations, I really do th think roll their sleeves up and get knee deep in it and just go hey look how can we help our community and I think because in part because I think they feel more attached to you and more connected to you because it's a conversation we're having so I want to thank uh, Bob Prophet at Alpha Media and Lisa Decker at Alpha Media and the team uh, at Alpha Media and uh, Steve at Fox Sports Eugene and everybody at 960 a.m. in Klamath Falls and 1490 a.m. in Roseburg for for all buying in because every year we get calls from all of those markets. We get donations from all of those markets. If you want to jump the gun today, you can go to baldfacetruth.org and make a donation. We'll apply it towards tomorrow's Radiothon. You can save yourself some trouble. If you're not sure you're going to be listening tomorrow, that would be a good thing to do today. Go to baldfacetruth.org and uh, give to the BFT Foundation. And uh, we will uh, try to make some smiles happen tomorrow. Make some after-school programs happen, some uh, musical instruments rented, some uh, field trips paid for, some books put into classrooms, all of those things that happen because of the Radiothon and auction that we do every year. So appreciate everybody who makes that, uh, makes that happen, frankly. It brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. Let's go big. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, I thought we were going to have news on the Aaron Judge front. We had a reporter who covers Major League Baseball report that Aaron Judge was all but done to the San Francisco Giants. He then walked it back. Will Judge sign today? Will the Giants make a huge move? The winter meetings are on. The latest buzz from San Diego has the Giants interested in Judge and the Yankees bracing, trying to retain him. It's going to be a big splash in Major League Baseball. What happens to Aaron Judge? We'll update you on that. I think uh, that, you know, it's big market teams fighting over uh, the biggest star in baseball right now who's available. Meanwhile, in the NFL, if I can have a 1B on the big splash uh, the 49ers looking for a quarterback I think we're hopeful that Baker Mayfield uh, who was uh, cut would uh, be available on the waiver wire 
But uh, the Carolina Panthers waived Baker Mayfield on Monday. And the Rams, who had uh, waiver wire um, position in their favor, the 49ers were in the number 25 position. The Rams were in front of them. The Rams claimed Baker Mayfield. They'll inherit the $1.35 million owed to him on his contract. Peter Sampson, let me ask you here, is this the Rams going screw you to the Niners or do the Rams really need Baker Mayfield? <laughs> I mean, really need Baker Mayfield. They need a quarterback, I'll say that. But, I, I mean, you're just taking a flyer. Stafford's older. He hasn't been healthy. What if that's a long-term thing? You know, he doesn't have much money that you're picking up. And I think it's an added bonus that you get to look up north and say screw you to the 49ers. Mm, I don't know. I, the 49ers, they got Brock Purdy. At quarterback, and the more that I think about this, I'm kind of interested just to see how it goes. Like, there's a, uh, I'm a, I'm fascinated by it to see if a guy who has a bunch of college starts started like 47 games in college, uh, and uh, was the last player picked in the NFL draft, Mr. Irrelevant. If that guy can come in and lead a team to a Super Bowl, that would be like a movie. So let's let's see that happen. I also but, read that yeah. the, the Rams, if Baker Mayfield gets signed next season, they get a compensatory draft pick. Mm. And Peter knows about the you know how they don't have any draft picks. So I think that oh, also might have had to do with picks. it too. Yes. There you go. So a little strategy in there. You screw the Niners. You get uh, you get somebody to back up John Wolford, and then, and then. You get uh, you get maybe a pa- a pick. So, Panthers cutting them loose. Niners still looking. Looks like they'll go with Brock Purdy at quarterback, and uh, for the foreseeable future. Is the Niners defense good enough, guys? Are they a contender for the Super Bowl with anybody at quarterback? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that defense is good enough. That offense is good enough too. Just giving it off to McCaffrey and Debo. I, I think they're still fine. I was thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo too. What's he good for? Like 250, 240 in passing yards? Can Brock Purdy get that? We'll find out. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, will join us next. I want you to leave it right here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, the next guest that we're having on is the uh, co-host of the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. He's a co-host. He's not a co-coach of the year. He's a co-host. I'm okay with being the co-host on that podcast. Why shouldn't Jonathan Smith and Kalen DeBoer be okay with being co-coach of the year? But some people, and by some people I mean a certain sports media member in Seattle... Softy, I'm just going to say it, Softy at KJR, that guy, not happy, not happy that Kalen DeBoer has got to share the award with Jonathan Smith. As far as the game on Saturday, am I scared? Am I fearful? First of all, I'm nervous for every freaking Husky game. That's number one. And number two, no, I'm not scared of Oregon. I mean, who the hell is Oregon beaten this year? They haven't beaten anybody. That guy doesn't want to share. Joining us now, John Wilner co-host of the Kanzano and Wilner podcast, co-coach of the year. You okay with it? I am. Uh, I am, actually. I, I have no problem with it. If I had to pick one of the two, I would probably have leaned slightly to DeBoer, but I actually think it's uh, it's a good ending. Uh, they both deserve it. 
if if USC had won Friday night, I think you probably could have made a great case for uh, for Lincoln Riley, right? Because he would have broken the playoff drought. Uh, but the way things turned out, I'm totally good with Smith and DeBoer. Just like a, I'm totally good with the co-host rule as well, but I would prefer to make co-coach of the year money. There you go. Yeah, you get a $25,000 bonus if you're Kalen DeBoer and Jonathan Smith for winning yep. that award. Yep. Um, you know, I asked the Pac-12, and they would not tell me. They just they would only confirm that Kyle Whittingham got some votes. Do you think it was, you know, enough where we should start pulling coaches individually or – you know, is it okay? I think it's okay to have a tie. I don't see. I don't get the big deal. This isn't like somebody gets to go to the playoff. I mean, it's just as I debate this, I think you can make a case for either guy, and I actually disagree with you. I think Jonathan Smith did more with less than Kalen DeBoer. Uh, yeah, no, you can make that case, but I'm not sure that that to me, what you have and what you can gather is part of the whole goes into the cauldron that, you know, that comes, produces your season, right? I mean, the recruiting aspect of it, uh, Jonathan Smith did not recruit uh, for all the things, you can list a hundred things that he did right, but he did not have that quarterback situation settled. And Kalen DeBoer found a great quarterback. And I think you have to just kind of take that into account. It is what you do with what you have, but you, you have to consider what you what you get but if we're going on one of those reality shows we're going to be on an island and we can only bring 10 items jonathan smith's your guy right jonathan smith is my guy because he could probably take a coconut and turn it into like a spaghetti dinner (laughs) wilner i had a problem i mean they do a great job nobody does a better job than Oregon state Uh, you know having a plan well other than utah Nobody has a better job than having a plan, recruiting players that fit that plan, developing those players, all within this broad framework of a strategy that works for the the campus you have and the, the recruiting pool you have. They do a fantastic job. I had a problem with the Defensive Player of the Year award. It wasn't like uh, Tupu, you know, Tuli, I, I'm blanking on his last name now, and I said it earlier, but it wasn't like he... You know, it wasn't like he had a bad year, but USC was ahead in a bunch of games. And so Tuli Tuipolotu ends up in a situation where he can just pin his ears back and go after sacks. And, oh, by the way, the defense around him was atrocious. He had all those sacks to himself. I, I kind of feel like Clark Phillips the third was the best defensive player in this conference. He was really good. Uh, and so was Christian Gonzalez, Oregon's cornerback, I thought. Those three, to me, were the best. Uh, but, boy, I mean, he led, the, he led the country in sacks. He led the Pac-12 in tackles for loss. And he was, you know, he, he was kind of a one-man guy, right? You had to, he was the main person on USC's front seven that you had to account for with pocket protection. So, uh, you know, you could... He did have a lot of sack opportunities because they were playing from, ahead, from so far ahead so often. But uh, I thought he was just so impactful on a, a weekly basis. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News is with us. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the championship game. You saw what Kyle Whittingham did last Friday night in Utah. Uh, I had picked it to be a close 
USC win. But I was shocked at the way that Utah just dismantled USC in the second half. What did you make of what you saw? Well, to me, the big thing was, uh, and it's been part of USC's formula all year, is the turnovers, right? Their turnover margin in, has been incredible. The best uh, since Oregon's uh, playoff team in 2014. The best in the country for Power 5 since 2014. And Utah only turned it over, what, once? It's like Utah won the turnover battle, right? That USC, I think, had two. Utah had one. If you go back and look at SC's big wins, Right, they were plus four in turnovers in Corvallis. I think they were plus three in turnovers against UCLA, plus two against Notre Dame. But Utah didn't let them get that big advantage. And so USC's defense wasn't very good, but they were so good at turning the ball over that it offset all their weaknesses. Utah didn't turn it over but once, and once Utah was able to – hold them out of the end zone and it was 14-3 and they held them to a field goal. To me, that turned to everything right there. Give me an idea of Deion Sanders to Colorado. How, you know, I know, I think we both believe that this is a win for the Pac-12, but how big a win is it in your mind for the Pac-12 and, and for Colorado? I mean, I think it's, uh, it's gigantic for Colorado. The fact is everybody's talking about Colorado. They, it was on the front page of uh, ESPN's website uh, like all day Sunday, right? Colorado's never had that kind of attention. At least it's been 20, 30 years. So to me, it's a huge win for the Bucks. Like already, he's already worth his first year salary with the attention he's generated for them uh, and the enthusiasm among their donors and their fans. For the conference, it's also huge. It's, it's kind of like Lincoln Riley, less obviously far less accomplished as a coach, but the same kind of you know, vehicle for, for national exposure for the Pac-12. Uh, just, he's, he's a sports celebrity who happens to be coaching, uh, and it's generating an incredible amount of incredible amount of interest for the conference. Huge win. It'd be like, I don't know, Magic Johnson or Bill Walton coaching basketball in the Pac-12. Wilner, how soon can he win? I mean, given, you know, he's he's trying to set a tone with his roster, and I didn't mind it. I think he's being honest with the kids. But how soon can Deion Sanders get the talent at Colorado, assemble a staff, and matter? You know, it's interesting because that, that video, right, when he said, basically, you guys better hit the road, I think we're getting better players. If, he, if it's not Deion saying that, that coach is going to get pretty heavily criticized for how they're treating student-athletes, but he's kind of playing by different rules because of who he is. Uh, and I think they could, they could get to a bowl game next year, right? Uh, we've seen quick turnarounds. Thanks to the transfer portal, you can overhaul your you know, 20, 25 guys on your roster if you want. So uh, I would imagine they're going to be competitive next year. What we don't know, though, is can coach at the Power 5 level, right? I mean, Jackson winning it at uh, Jackson State is a lot different. And uh, he made a really good hire with his offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis from Kent State. But we don't really know if Deion can coach. Do you think, like it's Chip Kelly told me once upon a time, I asked him as he was preparing for a Rose Bowl, I said, you know, give me an idea, game planning for Delaware versus game planning for Ohio State. He said, it's just game planning. Uh, you know, like coaching is coaching. Do you believe that? 
Uh, I believe Chip believes it. Uh, you know, just as if you know the way Chip has. But I, you know, I'm not sure everybody would have the same uh, the same approach to that. Not every coach would have the same approach. I think that the circumstances matter, talent matters in terms of how you go about things. But you know, that is that is certainly part of the way of Chip's coaching philosophy to look at it like that. So I can totally see him saying it. All right, big teams that you're watching for next season, give me who you think, uh, let's just spitball, the top two or three teams in the Pac-12 next season will be? Um, in no particular order, Yep. Washington, no USC, Utah. I'm okay. going out on a limb there, huh? <laughs> All right. No Oregon State. Look, I mean, coaches and quarterbacks. Coaches yeah. and quarterbacks. That's it. I don't know, and we don't know for sure who's coaching, who's quarterback in Utah. But you know, until they get dethroned, I'm assuming that they are going to be one of the top teams. Oregon State. To me, again, the issue is a quarterback position. Doesn't Goldbrand send the answer? Are they going to have to get somebody in transfer portal? They got to go in the portal. Uh, Keenan Slovis. I... Yeah, Keenan Slovis gotta... is in the portal. JT Daniels is in the portal. There's quarterbacks there. I don't want J2 Daniels for Oregon State, but uh, I think I think Jonathan Smith's got to get a quarterback in the portal. All right, Wilner, uh, I'll cut you loose. Um, I, I'm having a lot of fun doing the podcast with you. For people who don't know, subscribe on uh, whatever podcast you listen to. Just search for Kanzano and Wilner. You'll get uh, a dose of the John and John show. Wilner, thank you. Good to talk to you, man. Thanks a lot, my friend. There he is, John Wilner, Barrier News Group. Uh, we disagree on uh, if we're breaking the tie. I would take Jonathan Smith, but I, there's no wrong answer there. Kalen DeBoer had a great year. Um, by the way, guys, a little news out of San Francisco. Apparently, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's season is not over. The uh, doctors have concluded that his broken foot will not need surgery, and he may return in seven to eight weeks. Can the Niners, can the Niners buy seven to eight weeks? The Super Bowl is ten weeks away. It's cutting it tight. But could Jimmy G be back in time for, like, an NFC championship game? And would you run that risk if Brock Purdy's playing that well to get you there? <sighs> so much to talk about. Plus, Anna joins us. We'll uh, play Punch and Audio. We've got uh, Jonathan Smith on tomorrow's program, the co-coach of the year. Maybe we should get Kalen DeBoer and have him co-host a segment. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't need to make a big deal about the fact that uh, I was waiting patiently for that package Anna was waiting for today. Centered my entire day around not leaving the house, being available in case the driver was dropping off this important package. And then I come to find out the driver dropped off the package when I wasn't paying attention. Anna collected it and failed to tell me. How big a foul is that? Well, the audience has deemed that this is a pretty big sin, Anna, as she steps into the studio. I'm so yeah. sorry that I kept you from trading for that 5K. Right. I'm sure that's what you would have done with your time had I not held you captive hey, at the house. That time is valuable. The bigger thing was I went to shower a couple times in the morning, and then I said, ah, I better wait. This package might show up. Then I did some work. 
Then I booked the show. Then I wrote. Then I said, oh, you know what? I better, you know, maybe I'll shower. Then the Pac-12 Awards came out, and I wrote some more, posted something at johnconzano.com, and then came like 2.30, and I was like, I better have some dignity here. I better get showered today. And so, you know, we have cameras for listeners, and I set up the phone right by the shower so I could see the porch (laughs) just in case the package came. And I showered really fast, like scrubbing really fast, like, you know, let me get out, let me dry off. And then I texted Anna, hey, the package hasn't come, and I'm going on air at 3. Package came at 1.14. (laughs) Anna collected it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. It's ridiculous. Stephen del- says I the should. The delayed shower is really the biggest travesty of I all know. of that. Have some dignity. Get it, you know. Get yeah. up. Get dressed. Have a shower. Mm-hmm. I don't understand these people who don't shower. Yeah. You know. Well, and the irony of all this is that the delivery driver just dropped it off anyway. I there was know. no signature required. Well, I would have been there for you had there been a signature required. Yeah. I was paying such close attention that a couple of trucks drove by, and I hustled to the front door. Yeah. Thinking, there's a truck out here somewhere. <laughs> nope. Worth not the thing. package. Uh, Stephen believes I should parlay this into something else. Oh, yeah? Stephen, you're trying to help our uh, marital relationship yeah. here? Yeah. He I, I, I'm an expert. I mean, I know. Thank I'm married. You. He knows. I'm he, married. Therefore, you are <laughs> yeah, an expert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? He, Peter, uh, Peter uh, you believe that it's a sin, but I should just let it go. But I think Stephen is a veteran here because Stephen knows there's no win. There's no win but for me making this a big deal. We've been married long enough for me to know that. That I, I can't, like, if I make this a big deal, I'm not going to win. So the better tactic, I think Stephen's saying is... The better tactic is to go on public radio waves <laughs> and complain about your wife to anyone who cares to listen. I was in the Las Vegas airport on Saturday, flying back from the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. And a listener of this radio show... Mm-hmm. Stopped me in the airport okay. in Vegas. Yeah, smokiest said, airport in the in the United excuse States. Excuse me, John. Yeah, have you cut down the hedge on the side of your house yet? <laughs> oh goodness! And I said, "What are you talking about?" And then he said, "You were talking about this on radio with Anna. You have a hedge on the side of your house that's out of control. You need to cut it down." And I support you cutting it down. Get rid of it. Put a fence in. And I was like, you know what? This is really interesting that this is what we're talking about in the airport at this very moment. Yeah. He was very passionate about it. He needed resolution. The next time I see somebody, they're going to be like, you know what? I'm really sorry you waited for that package. You were right, John. (laughs) And you were, it was good on you for letting it go and not making it a big deal. How noble of you. How about that? Speaking of noble. Clearly. Last night on Sunday Night Football, (laughs) Tom Brady led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to two late touchdowns to overcome a deficit against the New Orleans Saints and win the football game. And uh, I believe it was Troy Aikman that was on the call. Is that right? Is Troy Aikman now on Sunday Night Football? Yeah, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman. Yeah, it was Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. But Troy Aikman said, that's what Tom Brady came back for, these kind of moments. (laughs) Anna wasn't even watching the game. But she heard that comment from the other room, and she said, and he gave up his marriage for it. (laughs) That's what he came back for. What was that about? It's luck. It's fine. You know, he's great. He he pulled it off in the end. <laughs> but it's just I can't ignore the fact. And sure, there was probably a lot more going on there between he and Giselle that we don't know about. 
But, you know, clearly his return, to, his unretirement back to football was at least a factor in what happened to them. So it's like, okay, let's ignore the fact that, you know, he gave up his marriage to to have games like this, you know, big victories at the end. But hey, I was I was thinking, I, 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 I think a lot of people were thinking this, and Peter and Steven chime in if you were having this thought, but I was watching the game, and they were dismal in offense mm-hmm. until the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. They were bad. And I was thinking, he came back for this? <laughs> like, taking the trash out and dealing with whatever was happening at home would have been better for Tom Brady than this. Was anybody else thinking about Tom Brady's marriage during Sunday Night Football? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> just me. <laughs> yeah, just, just you. I mean... I will say, you know, since they've been divorced, the Buccaneers' record has been a lot better than it was before. <laughs> a little clearing of the head. Yeah, exactly. Know? He's taking all the anger out on the players. <laughs> well, there you go. Spoken uh, honestly. But I think it's, it's such if, – if this season ends up dismal and, you know – because there's part of me too, and I hate to speak like a fan here, but when Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, I kind of kicked myself and I said, man, if Tom Brady hadn't retired – like, unretired, would he be available right now? And then I started thinking about Drew Brees, and I started thinking about, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, some of the quarterbacks that just recently retired. So I reached out to Derek Anderson, the former Bills backup quarterback, and I texted him, and I said, hey, how hard would it be for a guy who is retired to unretire and come back midseason like this? He doesn't think, like, somebody like Drew Brees could do it, especially since Drew Brees apparently lost a bunch of weight. It's got, like, in civilian shape. Like, there's football shape and there's civilian shape. You normally see the linemen in the NFL. They'll drop, like, 50 or 60 pounds because they they don't they don't need the weight and they want to live. And so, and, but for a quarterback to come back, you know, eight, ten weeks into the season and play at a high level, he said it would be asking an awful lot for somebody to do it. But I actually think Tom Brady would be one of those guys. He might have been – maybe he would have spent that time they would have salvaged the marriage. Apparently, she's gallivanting around the world now with some other guy. Antonio Brown? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Kanye? But I can tell you this. Maybe Tom Brady was at home and Giselle said, hey, there's a package coming. You should sign for it and be here. Yeah. And she didn't tell him. She picked it up. And then that Tom Brady it. said, to hell with this. I'm yeah. going back to football where I know that I can count That was the last straw. Things. Yeah. The last straw. Mm-hmm. All right, Anna, I want your I want your opinion on this. I hate to jump around here, but I'm going to do it. Deion Sanders uh, ends up as coach at Colorado. You seemed – you're not like a diehard football person. I'm not a diehard sports anything person. Okay. Yeah, go but on. But you seemed relatively interested in this hire by Colorado, and Dion is a reality TV show, whatnot. It struck me there are TV cameras everywhere. I don't think we're very far off from – like this ending up on Netflix as the Colorado football program becomes a reality TV show next season. Um, I'm fascinated by him only because growing up, uh, I knew him as Neon Dion. Like my my stepdad was like wildly curious about him. The fact that he went from you know football to Major League Baseball and he had such an electric personality. So this was a guy that had sort of traversed you know the barrier for me into pop culture. 
And so that's my interest in him. And I, I am curious to see, you know, I, I laughed when I saw the video of him talking to the team for the first time. And, you know, there's multiple cameras getting all the different angles. And I, I just, I have to wonder what the college students think about that. Because from like a coaching standpoint, there's a lot that is said in locker rooms and you know, team building that I think rightly so stays within those team meetings, right? And so I, I wonder about that dynamic and how healthy that actually is when he's going to have a crew following him around all the time. Let me play a clip from his introductory news conference. Here is Dion, Dion or Coach Prime now, talking about cameras being around. I want you to get ready to start seeing cameras because we film documentaries. Matter of fact, we have our doc drops. What's the date? December 15th, and this is going to be part of it. So we have a documentary, so the kids, they want exposure. They want to be on television. They want the lights and the action. But they got to understand, the same thing that causes you to shine will show your blemishes as well. So we're going to give them that. We're going to give them the followers. We're going to give them the attention. We're going to give them the love. We're going to give them the support. And we need each and every one of you. Because the caliber of players that we're getting ready to bring to you, they're going to want something. But guess what? I'm going to want something back. What do you make of that? Oh, it's a recruiting tool. Okay, I hadn't yeah. heard that. I hadn't heard that. I get it. It's a recruiting tool. So in a world where, you know, kids are building their NIL sponsorships and endorsements and they get to be part of a documentary that goes broad and is shown widely and they get the notoriety of being associated with him, that's a recruiting tool. Wow. Okay. He's asked about name, image, likeness. He's Forget asked everything I just said. He's at no, I, but I think <laughs> I think it dovetails with it. But here he is talking about name, image, likeness. I'm not crazy about the NILs, but I understand the NILs. But I would rather our kids be focused on the NFL and not just the NIL. But if we have to do what we have to do to make sure they're comfortable, I want them to be comfortable. I don't want them to worry about anything. And from the complex in this facility that I've seen. Shoot, I ain't worried about nothing but darn stuff. <laughs> Rick, I know you said I would bring the heat, but literally, we bringing the heat. Can somebody turn on the air around here? Please? <laughs> darn it, I thought you said you had everything straight. Where's the air? <laughs> That's an interesting cut to me because I'm going to hit on something that uh, I've noticed over the years in like 30 years of covering people like Deion Sanders, and there's nobody quite like him, but coaches. Mm -hmm. People laugh at those jokes. Those aren't great jokes. There's a courtesy laugh going on in the room, and I often wonder, as I listen to Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith, I, look, I've been through this, Pat Hill, the NFL coaches, Steve Mariucci, John Gruden, uh, Bobby Knight, Jerry Tarkanian, these coaches I've covered, they tell similar jokes and everyone laughs. Yeah. And I've often gone, like, I know way funnier people in my private life that would kill this room. But because they are who they are, the room gives them kind of that, oh, oh Dion's so funny. Mm -hmm. He said, turn the heat down. You know? Right. And um, it just struck me in listening to that, that the people there in that room, the Colorado supporters who were invited to this news conference, standing room only, they were desperate for something to laugh at and somebody to get behind. Mm -hmm. And I think that also plays to Dion Sanders' favor here. Desperate. Yeah. This is a team that won one game. He's such a showman, though. I mean, I just, I wonder if it's going to work. I really do. Like, I'm curious from you guys what you think. Like, is is his caricature 
you know, is his stardom going to lead to him being a great coach at Colorado, or is that uh, presence of Cruz and the entertainment factor, is that going to cut away from the authenticity that the kids will feel in playing for him? I think he's going to win. I think, I don't know if he's going to win big, but I think it's, you know, I, I said it originally, this is a risk for him to take this job. Like, that's what I was kind of thinking when I first heard Colorado was interested. But then the more I thought about it, I went, look, this is uh, a conference that is not the SEC. This is a, a job where they're coming off one win. The expectations are at the floor, and he's already risen the expectations. He will recruit. He'll get some players. If he can assemble a staff around him, I and and if he does – if this isn't all BS, this whole act, this stuff. We're going to out-recruit them. We're going to out-scout them. We're going to out-develop. We're going to get our education. We're going to graduate these young men. These young men are going to be on campus respectful and considerate and kind, opening doors for you and making sure everything is copacetic. And they're going to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, or they're going to have to deal with me. That's just the way I father. That's the way I parent. That's the way I coach. I'm old school. I, I, sometimes I may look like an old fool, but I'm just old school. What do you make of that? He's a walking soundbite, man. Yeah. Uh, here's the other thing. We had Brian Howell, the Boulder Daily Camera, on yesterday's show. Uh, if you missed the, missed the interview, grab the podcast. But he said Dion's coming with his own team. He's got his PR mm -hmm. team. He's got his social media team. If you want to get an interview with Dion Sanders, you can go through Colorado but they're just going to go through his people. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, as he builds this thing, is there a little bit of a wake-up call for Deion Sanders if the success doesn't come right away? Look, Jerry Glanville to Portland State, that was splashy. Mike Leach to Washington State, a lot of personality. But you have to back that up with wins at some point. Leach found that out, and he won games. If Deion Sanders wins some games, he's going to be out of Colorado in two to three seasons, and he'll get another job somewhere else. Is that worth it for Colorado? Do they get something? Yeah, they do, right? Well, we're talking about them. Yeah. I mean, we, we would not be talking about them. We hardly talked about Colorado football. On this show, Steve and Peter, <laughs> how often is Colorado football coming up? Uh, only when we make our picks every week, and we have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you guys think? Do you think this Deion Sanders experiment is going to work there? What, what do you think that's going to look like mm. and feel like? I think it's a no, it's a no risk, all reward for Colorado. I think because we are talking about them, it's getting them relevant right now. And I do think that the fact that he has cameras around and it's all about social media and all that stuff, it works because we see documentaries already out there. Last Chance You, all these things. These guys from those shows become, you know, quote unquote celebrities in their own sense, you know, after the show airs and they don't make it to even Division One college basketball, college football. So to have the camera crew around, it's just going to bring more eyeballs of those teams. And I think the better players, the better talent. You just want to get the attention. So I think he's going to get the talent in there, but ultimately, can he coach? And I think it's going to come down to can he actually coach on the field because you can win with talent. You can win six, seven games, but if you want to be a you know a Pac-12 championship contender, you got to get to 10, 11 games, and you have to be able to coach. We saw Mario Cristobal at Oregon. like He had all the talent in the world, but he couldn't coach the X's and O's very well. I think the same thing with Dion. Like, he'll bring in enough talent to have a floor that's really high, but he needs to coach to get to the top of the ceiling. Willie Taggart uh, was supposed to be headed to Deion Sanders' staff at Colorado, but apparently that is that deal is on hold. Uh, <laughs> he visited Boulder. He did not sign a contract, 
And then uh, Taggart went to visit with Michigan and is set to meet with the Baltimore Ravens this week. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I was interested in seeing Taggart back in the conference and seeing if he could sort of resurrect his career after you know being fired at Florida State, fired at uh, FAU, um, hasn't hasn't had success, but it looks like Sean Lewis will be the offensive coordinator at Colorado. That's a good hire. He he was uh, you know at Kent State for five years and went to two bowl games. He was at Bowling Green. Um, so I, I think it's a good hire by uh, Sanders, but apparently he's also bringing some of his assistants from Jackson State with him. But no Willie Taggart, guys. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. That's a shame. <laughs> I just, I'm <laughs> bummed. <laughs> I'm bummed. Yeah, I, I kind of was looking forward to, like, could we get Taggart on the show? Could we talk about some things? You know? Can I, can I drag out all the old Taggart sound bites? Make no excuses. Blame no one and do something. Can we just do that and, you know? We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. Can we do this? We could do it all day. It's not going to happen. Thanks for nothing, Neon Dion. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Pac-12 into uh, the season awards as voted by the coaches came out today. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State and Kalen DeBoer at Washington were co-coaches of the year, Anna, co-coaches of the year. People uh, don't like that. They are equating it to a participation trophy. I don't think it is one because a participation trophy would be the conference giving out, the conference itself giving out the awards. The coaches voted on it. The, each coach got to pick two coaches not themselves you can't vote for yourself uh that they would vote for and it was weighted first place vote got two points second place vote got one point and they voted for other coaches and uh then they tabulated the results and jonathan smith and kaylin DeBoer were tied so they named co-coaches of the year i don't think it's a participation trophy there are 10 coaches who didn't get the award two tied for it and i think the conference went look we can't value you know, Dan Lanning's vote any differently than we value Kyle Whittingham's vote. So these two guys are co-coaches of the year, Jonathan Smith, Kalen DeBoer. You okay with That's it or no? That's simply how the math worked out. That's what I'm told. I didn't see the actual balloting. <laughs> I wasn't part of the procedure. Jim Thornby, who is a Pac-12 uh, deputy commissioner um, who uh, was in charge of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I kind of pressed him on it. I said, hey, how many votes did Whittingham go? And he said, I can't tell you that. I can just tell you how the vote went, and now i got to go pick up my kid who I'm 30 minutes late to get who's sitting at the elementary school. Whoops, okay. So, so <laughs> um, these yeah. are people. These are people is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I was kind of surprised that people were saying participation trophy. I mean, that's just based on what you shared about how the voting goes, that's simply, that's simply the result. They tied for first, so that's what it is. You okay with that? Should they have settled it somehow that Washington beat? Oregon State should DeBoer get it? I think they would be. Uh, there would be more problems if they settled it somehow that way. Yeah. Because there would that, that would be like a Pandora's box of arguments. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, University of Washington and Oregon State's athletic directors are happy about this because on one hand, 
they have the coach of the year. On the other hand, both coaches had $25,000 bonuses in their contracts. Both bonuses will be paid. <laughs> so there's money that is being paid here. And I don't know if Jen Cohen, the AD at Washington, is going, you know what? I would have been okay being second. We just gave him a million-dollar raise. But it's $25K. Well, being yeah. second would be even better because you can complain, complain that the conference got it wrong and you don't owe money. Yes. Like, that's, that's the, the way, way to go, around. yeah. They it's like the, it's the backup quarterback situation. So the backup's is the real defeated. winner Utah? Is that the real winner? Like, because Kyle Whittingham was third in the voting. Definitely. It, so Utah wins again. All the all the fans get mad because they won the conference and their coach yeah. isn't even considered. Steven, you're full of win. wisdom today, man. He is I don't know. spitting things. I don't know what's wrong let's, with me today. Let's pep, let's he just pep, looks at it from a different prism. That's all. I let's like pepper Steven with a bunch of questions because okay. he's, he's like the Sphinx today. Yeah, okay. bring it on. Okay. I'll start. Uh, beach, beach or mountains? Uh, I'm a beach guy. Mountains, uh, it's a little cold for me, even though the beach is cold as well, but uh, the kids like to play in the sand, so I can just let them go play and I can relax. I, I have one. Uh, giving your spouse a Christmas present, what kind of stipulations should people uh, take on when you're buying for your significant other? Is it different if you're brand new newlyweds versus maybe been married 10 or 15 years? Help us out, Stephen. Yes, lots of differences. Uh, I've been married for 10 years, and... We really buy each other, you know, the uh, the stocking stuffers. It's all we really do. We don't buy actual gifts from one another. We will say, you know, like, if you want something, just buy it and say it's for Christmas. Where back in the day, back in the day, like, when you're dating or you're just, just engaged or just married, yeah, you go out and you buy a cool present. You, you, know, you buy, her, buy her something that she wants. But as you get older, you have kids, like, just keep it short and simple and then buy more stuff for the kids. Is there a price limit on said item? Like, what if that item's like $1,000 and you're like, I'm just going to get myself that That's for Christmas. Merry Christmas to me. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, do what you want. You do you. <laughs> He's just saying you do you. All right. I like what he's spitting. Peter, you got a question for the Sphinx. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, assuming I've hit the 18.5K max on my 401K for the year, should I go with a traditional IRA or should I go with a Roth for the pre-tax benefits? Well, it's a Roth for sure. I mean, have you ever heard? Of, I mean, only an idiot would do the IRA. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> I'm going to go do that right now. Thank you. Steven, is it okay for a grown man to wear a jersey of their favorite sports team? Um... Yes, because I wear jerseys, but I do them more as like a joke jersey. Like I don't have any jerseys that I really love of players, but I have jerseys of uh, like a Grand Canyon University, Dan Marley, uh, Jimmer Ferdet, Brandon Roy on the Timberwolves. So I think it's okay to wear jerseys. I think it's fun to support the teams. What is the um, acceptable number of times a year that a woman should go get a, a mani-pedi? Uh, I mean, as much as they want, right? You got to make them feel feel good about themselves. I think confidence is the number one thing for me, attractiveness wise. For a woman, you got to be confident, and so you know, I want my wife to feel confident. So if that makes her feel good about herself, it's going to make her more attractive to me. So uh, I want that. Stephen, what is your favorite sandwich, and where did you eat it? Oh, um, there is a place in Vegas at the New York New York Casino Hotel, Greenberg's Deli, I believe. It's called the Italian Stallion. <laughs> Give me that all day. <laughs> that was a show I saw too, but oh, this segment could work. We could just go ask Steven. No, it could be Steven, help him out. That's what it could be. <laughs> Steven. Steven, help help the people out. Bring it on. I'm ready to go. 
Do you have a question for the Sphinx? 503-417-7575. Because I can do this all day. Yeah. Do you have a question for the Sphinx, Anna? Um, yeah, electric razor or like regular oh. uh, non-electric razor? Oh, electric. I, uh, I was never straight taught edge. how to do it with like the shaving cream or anything, so I just go electric straight to the face. Easier that way. Stephen, are there foods that we should never share with anyone else, even if they're the, your significant other? Like share, like... Uh, like what? soup, cereal, you know, like it's okay. Ice to, cream. You have, you have yeah. a bite of this, a bite of that, but can Anna just break in and like slurp up some soup out of my bowl, or is that a, that a faux pas? That's disgusting. No, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, it has to be like... It has to be like a solid, right? Like if it's like a, a bowl of chips or something or like popcorn, yeah, sure, you can share that. But anything after liquid, no, that's that's disgusting, and uh, I don't want to share that. It, is it more impressive to live your life as a good person or to have in the past not maybe been the best person but overcome that to become a good person with great effort? Ooh, uh, I think it's uh, more impressive to be a bad person turned into a good person. Because I think change is the hardest thing for people in general. And so if you mm. were once a bad person, to actually change and become a good part of society, I think that's way more tougher than just be good at all times. Because you know, we see people who are good, but they don't necessarily provide anything. Where when you're bad, you learn from your mistakes and you grow. Mm. Um, Stephen, yeah. why do dog owners begin to look like their dogs over time? <laughs> or do you think that starts at inception? Like when they adopt the dog, they are attracted to dogs that look like them. Yeah, I think it's the, the latter there. I think they are attracted to the dogs because they kind of look like them because then it's more of a family dynamic, you know, because sometimes people don't have kids or whatever, don't have a significant other. So they go with the dog and then they can say, well, look at this, you know, basically my kid um, me as not a dog owner, not a dog guy, uh, I would never have a dog. So that's, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone here, but I would say it's just cause they're more attracted to themselves. Let's say I'm at the supermarket or I'm at the movie theater and I need to pick a line. What kind of wisdom do you give people in how to pick the line that moves the fastest? Well, you gotta just, it depends. So at me at Costco, I could tell you at the Clackamas Costco, who exactly to go to. <laughs> There are so many different cashiers, and some are really good, some are really bad. Now, what I Carlos, will, Carlos is fantastic. Yeah, uh, Matt, Matt is mm -hmm. the fastest by far. He's yeah, in Matt's no good too. Matt, yeah. Matt, he, uh, <laughs> no yeah. nonsense, all business type of guy. Uh, so go to him. Mm -hmm. I think for a general, well, there's the Russian lady too. She's like a bodybuilder. She's yeah, fast. You want to you want to find the people that you know don't look friendly. Right, because I think that's where the problem is. Is when you find friendly people, they talk to you and they talk to all their customers. But the other people that are serious about their job, they get the job done way faster. So find those type of people, and you're going to fly through the lines. When picking a sports team, because some kids get to pick what team they're going to be a fan of, they don't have a parent telling them or grandparents who've been there forever. What criteria would you advise? You know, maybe like a eight or ten year old kid to use when they're selecting the team that they're going to root for for life? You got to choose somebody with a really good player on it. And the reason I say that is because my friend, he's a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and he is miserable every single season because they're terrible. So I would never advise to be like, you know, you choose the worst team because you're not going to be happy. You can even say that with the Blazers. Like, they're fine because they got a good player in Damian Lillard, so they're always going to be somewhat relevant. Or if you choose the Sacramento Kings, like, they're going to suck every year. It's going to hurt you. So you got to choose first criteria, find a really good player on the team, and then choose that team. Mm -hmm. 
Great advice. Anna's got the last question in this Stephen Help Him Out segment. Uh, is it appropriate for uh, children to open a gift on Christmas Eve, or do you make them all like wait all the way till Christmas Day? Well, if if you're just doing, if that's like your tradition, I think that's okay to open one. But that's not my tradition. My tradition is you're opening them on Christmas Day because we do stuff on Christmas Eve with the wife's family. So when we get home, like, you've already opened presents. You don't need to open another one. Christmas Day is about, you know, Santa coming and Christmas being there, presents. You open them on Christmas Day. If it's Christmas Eve, that's fine, but that's a different that's a different question. There it is. Stephen, help them out. We'll do this every once in a blue moon. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. show is humming today. I always love when we can uh, spark discussion about important topics. We're saving marriages and households and answering burning questions on today's show. Max and Gresham, on that note, heard the last segment where uh, Stephen gave his advice on opening presents on Christmas morning versus Christmas Eve, and Max has uh, a follow-up on that. Go ahead, Max. Hey, John. How are you? I'm well. So, yeah, I do, my family only does one gift Christmas Eve, and that is the matching family pajamas. Now, everybody knows what it is, but, you know, we want to be wearing those Christmas morning when we open all the other gifts. And that's the only exception to that rule that we have. Okay, so it's a pajama thing. Stephen, is it acceptable... For Max and Gresham to give the jammies on Christmas Eve because it's a tradition. Yeah, that's fine. I think you probably can tell where my uh, stance is going to be on matching pajamas as a family. Um, <laughs> if you've listened to me any time before on the radio, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's fine. If that's your tradition, I'm all for it. I have a question about the matching pajamas. If this is a yearly thing, mm-hmm. like, that's a lot of pajama accumulation over the years. We did it. We did it one year. I'm you not know? gonna lie. I'm not. We did it two years actually. We had a deal with a pajama maker. Yeah. I forget what it was called. It was pajama, pajama Grammy or whatever. Yeah. But I got upset with them because <laughs> the second year we went to do it, they. Uh, they didn't want to give jammies for the whole family. I said, listen, you know, if you want to do jammies, that's fine. This isn't our, our gig. But if we want to do it, then it's we got three daughters here. It's not like we can pick our favorite daughter and outfit her in jammies. And uh, we got sideways on that. So <laughs> it didn't work out. Why no matching jammies, Stephen? <laughs> I don't. I mean, what are we doing it for? Just for the Instagram? Like, like I, because I, I mean, I don't wear pajamas. Like, I just wear like basketball shorts. So, like, I don't want to wear pajamas anyways. And so to do it, I just I'm not a fan of like the matching clothes like down at Disneyland or like any of that kind of stuff. Like, let me be my own person. 
You don't want the pajamas, the adult pajamas that have the flap in the back with the button that comes down? Yeah, no, thank you. Not unless it's like my anniversary. Peter, are you on board with this or are you a matching jammy guy? Uh, I personally am not a matching jammy guy. I will tell you, uh, you know, my son and his mom, they they do do that. It's pretty cute. I'll be honest, but uh, I I don't own pajamas. I'm sort of a basketball shorts to bed sort of guy like Steven, but I'm not opposed to it. You said that after saying you didn't own pajamas. Oh yeah! Wait, what? Right now, I'm in the buff. Yeah, I can confirm. Yeah, he wears his Atlanta Braves baseball jersey. You know it. And that's all. That's it. Oh, that's why you come to this show. The five at five is coming up. If you're a matching jammy family, nothing personal. It's just Steven's opinion. He's just trying to help the people out. If you want a podcast of this show, you can always get it. By wherever you get into a podcast. The happy hour is coming up. We're going to start with the 5 at 5. I promise it will only be as entertaining as the last hour has been. We've had fun. Uh, Great guests on tomorrow's show, too. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Tomorrow's show is going to be a lot of fun. The Bald Face Truth Foundation Radiothon and Auction will be on tomorrow. Looking for a Christmas gift? How about some Blazers courtside seats? How about two sideline passes for the Oregon season opener next season? Oregon's playing Portland State in the season opener. We'll auction that off. How about a bottle of bourbon? Okay? Not just any bottle of bourbon. Let me just tell you about this bottle of bourbon that we're going to auction off tomorrow. I'm not like a bourbon extra expert. Just seeing how many times I could say bourbon in this segment. I'm not an expert on bourbon, but I'm here to tell you that uh, an expert on bourbon gave us a bottle that is worthy of the cause that it will support. 17-year-aged, extremely sought-after bottle called a true unicorn in the bourbon world. It is a Heaven Hill 17-year-old barrel-proof bourbon bottle. I Googled it, Anna. Mm -hmm. This bourbon, it sells for like $1,900 a bottle. We got a bottle of this bourbon that we're auctioning off tomorrow. We got a beach house in Pacific City on the Oregon coast that we're auctioning off tomorrow. The Hillsboro Hops have donated a first-pitch VIP adventure. You and your uh, team can, uh, you know, the winner gets to throw out the first pitch of the Hillsboro Hops game or pick somebody in their family, one of their friends. Hey, guess what? Happy birthday. You're throwing out the first pitch to a Hops game this season. That's unique, one-of-a-kind experiences. We're auctioning them off tomorrow. We're raising money for kids tomorrow. I hope you're here for it tomorrow. If you're not here for it tomorrow, if you want to make a donation now, you can go to baldfacedtruth.org to make a tax-deductible donation to the 501c3 nonprofit, helping kids in our community, kids who need it, teachers who need the help, families who need the help. That's what we're doing tomorrow on the show. I hope you're here for it. Uh, we got the 5 at 5 coming up, plus some punch it audio. You're in the happy hour. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com. Well, the Dallas Cowboys had a meeting with Odell Beckham Jr. They have some concerns about his physical health. 
That's right, he tore his ACL in the Super Bowl, but his physical after meeting with the Cowboys didn't go all that well. Jerry Jones had some comments on the, on the meeting. I'll play that here in a second, but it's really interesting to watch Odell Beckham Jr. kind of tour around, making appearances with teams, trying to figure out where he fits. He visited with the New York Giants. He visited with the Buffalo Bills. He uh, met with the Cowboys. Jerry Jones talked about it. Yeah, we'll continue to uh, meet. Uh, we had uh, pretty extensive meetings. I did with Odell yesterday. And uh, uh, we spent quite a bit of time together, enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, then we um, also, uh, he spent some time with uh, our, uh, uh, as it turns out, our entire family was there. My good session there, then it was off to the ball game last night. Uh, we'll get back together today and see uh, uh, where we go from here. Uh, you know, these things, uh, there are a lot of variables, a lot of variables here, uh, a lot of things to uh, consider. Uh, it's got to fit, and I mean that. It really does have to fit for both parties. There's no there's no gain here if uh, uh, one or the other, the Cowboys or Odell, uh, doesn't have it where it uh, feels good after you get it done. You can't... Uh, can't do anything that doesn't last because this is like getting married. You, uh, uh, you're not, uh, you're not getting together to have issues after you get together. So we've got to make sure we've covered all the things that uh, are important to him and important to us. Why does Jerry Jones make everything sound inappropriate? <laughs> you ever notice that? <laughs> Makes everything sound inappropriate. The problem that the Cowboys have is they have 6.3 million dollars in cap room but they'd have a problem if it was going to be a long-term deal. And so if Odell Beckham Jr. is looking for security, Dallas probably isn't the place for him. But I actually think, and I said it on yesterday's show, there's something about this team, this Dallas team, they're really missing some pieces. I think he could help them in a way that maybe he can't help some of the other teams. Keep an eye on the New York Giants, keep an eye on Buffalo as Odell Beckham Jr continues to make rounds. Anna, number two, go ahead. Jimmy Garoppolo may be back this season after all. So after he got hurt in Sunday's win over the Dolphins, it turns out he does not require surgery for his foot and could actually return in seven to eight weeks, according to ESPN. So good news for 49ers fans. Bill Simmons talked about Brock Purdy, his replacement on his podcast. Today. Jimmy G is out for the season. At a time when I thought the Niners had a chance to come at it today as not people saying they were the best team, but them becoming the chic Super Bowl pick. Because Philly looked great today. You know, mm -hmm. part of it was because Burks got hurt. Once Burks got hurt, you knew Tennessee was done. And also because everybody and their brother bet on Tennessee today. Right. But Philly looked, Philly did everything they needed to do. They're now the favorite because KC lost. But mm -hmm. San Fran was moving into that. Oh, man, this defense, McCaffrey looks great. They got McCaffrey, Debo, Kittle healthy. Jimmy G's good enough. And then it's over in five minutes. With that said, our guy Brock was, like, pretty good for a third-string Mr. Irrelevant rookie. I was kind of stunned by how confident he was. I thought he actually played well. So you got Rock Purdy, and now the new development that you mentioned, that he could be back, Jimmy Garoppolo could be back seven or eight weeks from now. Super Bowl's ten weeks away. Timing might just work out for the 49ers. Keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, Aaron Judge is on the open market. The Yankees would love to have him back. There was a erroneous report today that he had 
already agreed to terms with the Giants, but Michael Kay on the Yes Network in New York, he's talking about something that the Yankees might offer Aaron Judge that the Giants can't offer if the money's equal. What's he talking about? This is number three in our five at five. I think that the Yankees offer him the ability to be in the playoffs every year. Every year that he's been a professional baseball player, the Yankees have gone to the playoffs. There's something to be said for that. Now, for the naysayers, they'll say, well, they haven't won the World Series. Okay, but they go into every single year with an attempt to win the World Series. Never do they reset. They don't do what the Astros did, gave away five years, what the Cubs are in the middle of doing, what the, what the Orioles have done. The Yankees make the playoffs every single year, and when they go into the playoffs, they think they have a shot. That means something. All the things that John said, number 99 on left center field, wall the the legacy of being a, a a life a lifelong yankee not playing anywhere else uh the possibility of being named captain which i think would be very real but if money is equal and then he leaves well then he's ignoring all of that and there's nothing the yankees could do where it gets complicated if the money's not the same well how much is all of that worth to you is there a monetary number that you can attach to that and say this is what it's worth all the extra things that come off the field in new york as well that you might not get in san francisco the money's going to be an interesting part of this because you know it ha the money ha has to make sense to jerry jones point earlier you don't want to take on Aaron Judge with such a long-term deal, nine years is what they're talking about, that you're, you're hamstrung in years six, seven, eight, nine to the point where this cripples your organization. Um, I don't agree with Michael Kay because I think Aaron Judge probably views his presence as enough to put the Giants over the top. Now, the Giants in the last six years have been to the playoffs once and lost the divisional series in 2021. That's their last one. But they got two World Series championships in the last dozen years too. So they've proven if they have the talent, they can get there. And I think Aaron Judge is part of the solution. I'm just really curious to see what does it matter? Judge played his college ball at Fresno State from the western part of the country. Does going to San Francisco matter to him over being in New York? That's, I think, what, what needs to be answered here. I don't think this is about, hey, they could, you know, the Yankees being able to offer him something the Giants can't. Number four, Anna, go. Interesting to see Marcus Mariota's teammates voicing support for him, even as the Atlanta Falcons are in a losing streak right now. Tight end Michael Pruitt saying, we ride with our guy, we ride with Marcus. And this is after their loss on Sunday to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's saying he's gotten us to this point. We still feel like we can win games, and I've got Marcus's back to the end. I hope the fans will, too. Uh, let's see how much patience they have for this. Another teammate, offensive tackle, Caleb McGarry, saying he's our quarterback. He's a great teammate, a great person, and I'm sure he has his plays that aren't the best, but so do the rest of us. I, look, I think it's noble that they're stepping up for Marcus Mariota, but... I, uh, I'm the biggest Marcus Mariota believer in the uh, media circle that I run in, and I'm starting to believe that there's something wrong with Marcus Mariota. I'm watching the Falcons. Their offense is run heavy. Marcus has been successful in the red zone most of his career. He looks like his confidence is rattled. He's just making decisions that are puzzling to me, and I, I don't see the same guy that had great confidence in Tennessee and uh, looked like a guy who could be a starter. I, I want to see that from him. But right now, 
you know, Arthur Smith decided to stay with Marcus Mariota, and I think a part of this is, like, there's a bye week coming up here, and and this is why the question is, do the Falcons turn to Desmond Ritter now, or, you know, they're still looking at a possibility that they could get to the playoffs because the Saints lost, but the Falcons are about, you know, at best, the 22nd best team in football, like, maybe at worst, they're 25th or 26th, like, I I think they're they're on the outside looking in right now. Guys, what do you do? If you're the Falcons, do you stay with Mariota or do you shake it up? They're 5 and 8. They're just uh, you know, they're sitting right behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the standings who are 6 and 6. They're going into a bye week. Do you stay with Mariota? I think you make the change. I think it's clear that Marcus Mariota is not the franchise quarterback and that's okay. I think he's a really good backup quarterback. But he's not the franchise guy. So you guys see what you have at Desmond Ritter because, like you said, this Falcons team isn't going anywhere this year. So you kind of got to see what you got. Yeah, regretfully, I have to agree with that. It, it, I mean, look, they're better than I thought they were going to be. But at a certain point, you do have to look toward the future. Meanwhile, what's going on with Trey Young? Have you guys uh, been uh, following this? Yes. There's some tension between Trey Young in Atlanta and Coach Nay McMillan. There was a tense exchange with a reporter and uh, Trey Young. I didn't like Trey Young's performance as he talked to the reporter, Tony Kornheiser, uh, talking about what Nate McMillan told Trey Young. Apparently, Nate McMillan, who's known as Sarge, told Trey Young to show up for the game after he refused to practice. He was a no-show. Punch it. It's easier to get a good coach than a great player. It's as simple as that. He's been, Nate McMillan's been fired before. He's fired at Portland. He's fired at Indiana. He's a wonderful coach. But if Trey Young says it's him or me that has to go, it's going to be him who has to go. Let me me just skip forward on something because Trey Young, if he fires two coaches in five years, he approaches LeBron territory. Nobody knows how many coaches LeBron has fired, but LeBron has rings. Trey Young has no rings. Look, you you want this to be peacefully settled, but Peter and Steven, has Trey Young been a problem all along or... Is this new? I mean, it seems relatively new. I know that that uh, McMillan has that Sarge rep, but he's honestly kind of learned to be more flexible. His time in Indiana really kind of helped with that. Uh, he's not as rigid in his attitude or his sets. But, I mean, that being said, I'm wondering – How much of this is sort of much ado about nothing? I know McMillan sort of came out and said, look, I would never tell a guy just because he didn't practice to not show up to the arena that night. So I don't know if it was a miscommunication or it was Trey Young sort of being a diva. And Trey Young's good, but man, if you do end up getting a second coach fired in, I mean, this is what, his fourth season? I mean, that's that's not a good look. Yeah, it's one of those things where... Trey Young, he puts up the numbers, he puts up great highlights, but does he help your team win games? He's a bad defender, he takes some bad shots at times, so for him to you know, get these coaches fired is one thing, but you know, the rumor was is that uh, Nate McMillan asked him to come off the bench if he was going to show up, because he didn't, he didn't go to shoot around, and he said, you know what, if you come to the game, you're going to come off the bench. Trey Young said, no, I don't want to, so Nate McMillan told him to not to come, and uh... if that's the case, like... I think, I think Kornheiser's right. Like they're probably going to choose Trey Young over Nate McMillan, but at the same time, Trey Young is not good enough to be pulling off those type of moves. I was at the game that Nate McMillan was coaching for the Blazers, and he did not play Darius Miles in the first half. You guys remember what Miles did? I don't know if you remember this. 
he went and got in street clothes at halftime. He was pissed that he didn't play. And Nate, I watched Nate's reaction when Darius was on the bench. He was fuming. And uh, he had problems with Darius Miles. Like, he obviously went back and forth with him whatnot. Um, and Nate McMillan at the time didn't say anything. But after the Blazers fired Nate McMillan, and obviously they parted ways with Darius Miles, I talked to Nate McMillan, and he said that he was concerned at the time for his own safety. He was concerned about the people around Darius Miles that, were, that he was hanging out with that they were dangerous people, and he said he was he had his head on a swivel when he was leaving the arena at the time. Like, that's no way to coach. Like, I can't imagine having to deal with that and then not having the support of your organization on top of it. So I will, I'd will i be willing to bet Nate McMillan is probably at the point, if this Trey Young thing does end up going south on him, that he's probably at the point that he's done with Atlanta. And I think that's a shame. But is this part of Nate McMillan's style? Does he just kind of grind on people and and exhaust people? And at some point, you know, he's going to have problems with today's star, or what is it? He he definitely used to, and I've heard that he's actually learned to let go a little bit. But I almost wonder if people are are sort of projecting that just because the actual offensive style that he runs is looser than it used to be. You know, 15 years ago when it was just hand the ball to Brandon Roy and just ISO him to death. Uh, so I don't know if it's actually true, but I I don't know if you could if 06 Nate McMillan tried to coach today. I don't think he would last a. a a single season. No, I mean, there's really only one coach that's kind of like that. That's Tom Thibodeau over in New York, and that's already yeah. been rumors of that they don't like him there. So, you know, I, not every coach is for every player. I think especially in the NBA, the professional ranks, you can't really, you know, put your hands on the program, the franchise, as much as you would like to, where in college basketball, those coaches run those programs, and they will do what they want uh, because the players in the NBA are making more than the coaches. So it's, t- it's tough, man. I, I think – I think Nate McMillan's in a tough spot here because obviously if you're going to choose between Trey Young, Nate McMillan, you got to choose Trey Young over Nate McMillan. But uh, yeah, it may, just be, it may just be time that he's out in Atlanta going somewhere else. Coming up, we're going to talk, talk about trophies and other absurdities. Leave it here. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. trophy stuff going on you guys notice this the nba is redesigning some trophies we'll talk about that uh we'll play some punch and audio coming up but uh you know the uh the uh heisman trophy you know people are talking about the heisman trophy and you know it's had several redesigns over the years and there's been some people talking about hey the heisman trophy shouldn't be the traditional Heisman thing. It should represent like a quarterback or the position of the winner. Um, it, but the NBA is doing something. I want to talk about both these things together. The NBA is doing a redesign of their end-of-season end of awards, and they introduced five new redesigns for their awards, and this was today. And uh, one of the trophies, the Maurice Podoloff Trophy, uh, goes to the team that has the best regular season record. It's a new award. It's named after the first commissioner of the NBA. The team with the best record after 82 games will get this 
crystal ball that's cut into 82 panels that sits on a pedestal that um, has, like, the rings of the Western Conference and the posts of the Eastern Conference on it. Do you guys think this should even be an award? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think it – because in the NBA, like, wins and losses – I feel like in the regular season don't necessarily matter to a lot of teams. Like there's teams that are going to tank, but there's also teams that are veteran laden teams that don't care about where they finish in the standings because they know they can go on the road and win games. So I don't think it's really, I mean, it's an accomplishment, but I don't think it's true. Is it an accomplishment though? Like, like the, the goal is to win a championship. If you have the best record at the end of 82 games and you face plant, should you get a trophy? I mean, it is an accomplishment, right? Like, you were the best team in 82 games. Like, you aren't, doesn't necessarily mean you're the best team in the league, but. It's too for- many trophies for me. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know. Peter, where are you on Yeah, that? I, I don't like it. I mean, a team that's going to win, say, 64, 66, 68 games, they don't care about the regular season because they're a legit championship contender. So they only care about the O'Brien trophy. I guarantee every player only cares about the O'Brien trophy if they're winning that amount of games. So wait a minute. is the, Maybe Steven's on to something because maybe is the point here that the NBA is trying to make the regular season feel more important? I think they might be, and you can you can tie that in with the midseason tournament that's sort of coming up, which I love. But that's sort of a you know a whole separate thing. But it's not going to work. I mean, if if that's what they're doing, oh man, you know who cares what we do in the playoffs? But if we beat the Orlando Magic on April sixth, we get the I don't what was it called? <laughs> the Larry Podoloff Award. Yeah, we get the Podoloff Trophy. There we go. Let's go, baby. Yeah, I don't think it's going to affect the players. Um, what it could affect also, I think later on is, you know, maybe in 20, 25, 30 years is when you're comparing resumes of guys, be like, you know what? This guy had that many Podolov trophies. Like that's one of those things where, you know, is he, you know, when you're comparing two players or hall of fame type careers, but you know, because in the NBA, the regular season, it's a completely different season than the postseason. So I think it is good to recognize a team withstanding 82 games. It is a tough road. Like injuries happen. I think it's okay to give them a trophy for that, but at the same time, the ultimate goal is to win the win the NBA championship, and I don't think the players are really going to be affected too much by the uh, regular season one. All right, let's shift to the Heisman Trophy. We got quarterbacks running wild at this as finalists for the Heisman. There's already an award that's called the Davy O'Brien Award. It's for the best quarterback in college football, but the Heisman Trophy um, now traditionally goes to a quarterback and. The BCS era did that to us. When you look at, uh, you know, the BCS era was 1998 to 2013. Twelve quarterbacks won in that era. Four running backs, uh, nobody else. So 16 years, 12 quarterbacks won it. And there was the concept that the running back position got devalued. And we've seen this in fantasy football, right? We've seen this in the NFL where – Teams don't go out of their ways to draft running backs early anymore. And, you know, you see, like, the pat, the the best running backs sometimes now going in the second round. And so you have, you know, like, Kijana Carter went number one overall back, like, 25 years ago. But, you know, everybody's valuing quarterbacks, and it's a quarterback-centric game. And But the Heisman quarterback dominance, to me, doesn't make sense because when you look at even 
players that are finalists in this Heisman race, Stetson Bennett's not even the best player on his team. He's not. He might not be the the eighth or tenth best player on Georgia's team, but he is a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Help me out with this, guys. And and by the way, if we're going to make this a quarterback trophy, should they just put a quarterback as the trophy? I mean, no, I don't think they should change the trophy. I think it's a very iconic trophy. But I am with you on Stetson Bennett. I think it is crazy that he is one of the finalists because he's probably not even the best offensive player on his team, and they're just doing it because they're the number one overall seed. You know, I think Blake Corum, Bijan Robinson, if you want to look at non-quarterbacks, those guys are definitely more worthy than Stetson Bennett. So I'm with you that he should not be involved and that we've gone a little too quarterback heavy, especially in the college game. I think in the college game, a running back can be a very big key to the team. Uh, but I, I, a lot, as far as the trophy, I think just keep it. I like the traditionalists uh, of the trophy looking. I do wish that some non-quarterbacks would get a little bit more. Re- That's why I loved it. What was that, 2019 when Panay Sewell got a few votes? Yes, because I voted for him. Yeah, and I think that was a great vote because I understand not everyone can watch every game and you just look at the numbers, but like by definition, only quarterbacks can have more than, say, one passing touchdown. You know what I So if you're just going to turn it into the best quarterback, I mean, we already have an award for that, but it really should be the best player. You have to evaluate it by the nature of the position. I I mean, don't change the trophy, but I, I don't like what it's become. Like, I even think I, – I, okay, so I sat to, I sat down to do my vote from the Heisman, and I found myself falling into the same pattern that other voters fall into. And I think a lot of it has to do with kind of how we view the Heisman trophy as a sports culture because I sat there going, you know, no on – George's quarterback. He's not the best player on his team. And in fact, if I were looking at George's team and we're going to pick a player from Georgia, it would be Jalen Carter, right? Like, I mean, it would be you, you pick who's George's best player. I mean, we could have a debate about that, but it, no way is it Stetson Bennett. And the NFL draft's going to tell us that. And, you know, you could take their Darnell Washington, the tight end, is a better player. Like, you and, and you could go around the Pac 12 and find players that are better than Stetson Bennett that will go higher in the draft. Like, he's not the best player, and he's one of the finalists. He's not going to win this thing, I don't think. But I think it's going to go to Caleb Williams at USC. But I found myself falling into that trap of evaluating, like, who's who are the quarterbacks? And I think we have to stop that. And I think we need to start looking at who are the best players because I actually think Jordan Addison at USC is a better player college football player than Stetson Bennett. I just think Stetson Bennett's the quarterback of the team that is undeniably the best team in college football. And I think there's some offensive linemen. Like Northwestern's got an offensive lineman named Peter Skorinski. He is like he's gonna be a top fifteen pick. He's like one of the Panay Sewell like players in this draft. And I think that that guy is a better college football player than Stetson Bennett. So I don't know how we fell into this. I think I'm going to blame ESPN, I think, because ESPN, at the beginning of the year, they start telling us who the Heisman candidates are before we've even seen games. And I I think we fall into that trap. Even the voters fall into the trap, and we have to stop it. And I think it's going to take some outcry to do that because I think Georgia's got, you know, Ringo, the defensive back's a great player. He'll be a top five, top ten pick. Jalen Carter's going to be a top five pick. Um, I think there's guys like, uh, you know, obviously like Bryce Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud that should get consideration because I think they also will be top picks. But Will Anderson at Alabama is a way better football player 
than some of these guys that are going to be finalists for this award. So I think we fall into that trap of who's the best quarterback for the team that is the highest ranked in the college football playoff rankings, and then we just start voting that way. we got to stop that. I need to stop doing that. Do you think it's because of the NFL? Because in the NFL, the quarterback is by far the most important position, and I think the MVP it will always go to a quarterback. Now, like, there's no chance it goes to anybody else. Do you think that's translated to the college game? Because in college, I feel like you can have a more impactful player. Like you said, you just named off a bunch of players that are more impactful than what quarterbacks can be because of just the overall talent the teams have. Yes, I and but I think college football is also quarterback-centric, right? And, like, last year we had Bryce Young, and then you had Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive lineman at Michigan, and, you know, Will Anderson was fifth, the linebacker at Alabama. Uh, Kenneth Walker at Michigan State was sixth, um, you know. So, but the top three were two quarterbacks. It was Bryce Young and it was Kenny Pickett, third from Pitt. So, and and C.J. Stroud was fourth. But I uh, I kind of am curious to see if there'll be a little correction because I do hear some outcry right now that we haven't heard in recent years. And, look, even two years ago, Devonta Smith won it at Alabama, and that's a wide receiver. So it's not like this always happens. But after him, the finalists were Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. You know, so I just think we need to remember that the best player is often not a quarterback, and we need to be thinking in those terms from the beginning of the year and not just handing it to the best quarterback. Do you think uh, wins, you know? team wins should matter then? Because Stetson Bennett, the only reason he's there is because Georgia's 13-0. They should. They should matter. But how is Ezekiel Elliott in 2015 eighth in the Heisman voting? Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Like, you know, he was, a way be- he was a way better player. And I remember when Jadavion Clowney was coming out, and this was a while ago, and it was like 20, 2012, Jadavion Clowney was sixth in the Heisman vote. He was the best player in college football. He was destroying teams. He was a one-man wrecking crew. But Manti Teo and Johnny Manziel got the headlines. And Colin Klein, who went on to have a wonderful NFL career, Colin Klein was third from Kansas State. How's Jadavion Clowney not included in as a finalist in that in that Heisman vote? It's just it's disappointing. And the vote really it feels a lot like the presidential election to me. Because by that, I I know by the time they count my vote, the voters in the East and the South are not watching the Pac-12 players. So if the Pac-12 happens to have like, you know, uh, a Caleb Williams at USC, of course they're going to get some attention. But Michael, nobody saw Michael Penix Jr. play, and Michael Penix Jr. I think was the second best offensive player in the conference. And then I would put Bo Nix third, and here I am with three quarterbacks. Am I wrong? No. You're not, and I, I think, you know, going back to just the ones for me, the biggest travesty in the Heisman Trophy is 2009 with Adama and Sue. He should have won the Heisman Trophy that year instead of Mark Ingram, number two, Toby Gearhart, Colt McCoy. Like, Sue was by far the best player in the nation that year. At least he got recognized as fourth, but, like, that, I think that proves, like, it is so hard, for especially for a defensive player, to get that recognition. I think uh, we've got to start thinking outside the box a little bit when it comes to that vote. I think it's a good discussion. we got to have it here. It needs to happen on ESPN. It needs to happen nationally. It needs to happen in your living room, in your household as well. Punch and Audio is coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
We'll play some punch and audio in this segment. What do we have coming up here on 750 The Game, guys? You got the Pulse with Peter Sampson. Peter, what are you going to talk about on the Pulse coming up at 6 o'clock, top of the hour? Yeah, some drama in the World Cup. Cristiano Ronaldo being a diva like always. And I want to ask if the Trailblazers are back on track. It was ugly for a couple weeks, but uh, Damian Lillard's back. They've won a few in a row. We've got some tickets on tomorrow's show, courtside tickets that will be auctioned off and some other 100-level tickets for donors who uh, make donations to the BFT Foundation. So uh, I'd be eager to hear whether you think the Blazers are back on track. So I will stick around to find out top of the hour as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up here on 750 The Game. Uh, Stephen, where do people find your Believe in Blazers podcast? Yeah, you uh, can find it on wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Believe in Blazers. It's B-L-E-A-V in Blazers. Uh, it's myself and Tori Jones. We co-host that, and it comes out about once a week. And, uh, yeah, just catch that anywhere. You catch me on Twitter at Stephen underscore V-O-N. We always tweet it out from there as well. Do you do, uh, like, Stephen Help Him Out segment on there or no? I mean, we could start, but I feel like that's a you know a BFT trademark now. I, I like that. We're going to do that once in a great while when we have burning questions to examine. Uh, let's play some Punch It Audio. we got good sound. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Oregon football coach Dan Lanning is looking into the portal for some help. He's also watching some of his players jump into the portal. Here's Dan Lanning talking about where he'll get help in the portal. Punch it. We're going to look to enhance our program in every every facet, every opportunity that we get to make our program better. I think we did a really good job this past season of bringing the right people into the program. I want to say we had um, maybe 10 guys that we brought in, you know, scholarship guys that we brought in, and, and uh, all of them were really big-time contributors for us this season. So the goal is to find good people that fit the characteristics that we're looking for in our program, regardless of just position, you know, and certainly you'll look for some position-specific pieces, but I'm not going to limit our search to just a couple positions. We're going to look for guys that make our program better and that fit our culture um, as we move forward. He's going to need help, and he needs it on the defensive side of the ball more than anything. It's why... You know, I'm looking at the hire of Will Klein, the uh, well, excuse me, Will Stein, the uh, new offensive coordinator that's coming to Oregon from University of Texas, San Antonio. I did some asking around. Uh, I'm here in innovative. You know, I even reached out to. Do you guys know the coach that? Uh, you know, uh, Coach Jason Brown, the uh, Coach JB, who was on the, uh, the Netflix show. Yeah, that, he's uh, a uh, he's a wild card. That one. Yeah, he's a wild card. I asked him, and he said he was good. At Texas San Antonio, he said innovative. So I think you're going to see kind of Kenny Dillingham-esque, you know, from from uh, Stein. I think you see some good play calling. But Oregon, Oregon's got big questions on the defensive side of the ball. I, that's where the problems were this year. And if Dante Moore comes in, who the five-star quarterback that they are, you know, that is committed to them, if he ends up signing, if he ends up coming to Oregon early, you know, Yes, Dan Lanning's going to need some help in the portal. Yes, he might need a transfer quarterback in the portal to bridge him to more if Ty Thompson's not the guy. But the questions I have for Oregon are mostly on the defensive side of the ball where Dan Lanning's expertise is supposed to be. So 
that's kind of where I'm focused. One thing I want to add, Frank Harris, the quarterback at UTSA, he has a big announcement coming tomorrow about his future. Mm. No one knows what it is, but uh, it could be. He's going to Oregon. Could be an he's, Oregon thing. He's going to bridge. He's going to bridge the Ducks to Dante Moore. Has to be. Deion Sanders in Colorado. He told Boosters he's going to give him a chance. Here's Dion. Now that I've gotten here and I see it, and I understand it, Rick, and I can grasp it, and I can touch it, and I can feel it, and I can taste it, I truly understand what you want. All you want is an opportunity to win, to compete, to dominate, to be amongst the elite, to be amongst the best. And darn it, I'm going to give you that. Listen to the support that Deion Sanders has in that room in Colorado. A lot of enthusiasm, a little bit of buzz and some energy around the program. This is a win for Colorado. Can Deion Sanders coach? We'll find out. But I think he's going to get players. I think he's already going to increase gift giving. He's going to get some enthusiasm there. This is this is a win for a Colorado program that hasn't had many wins in uh, in recent seasons. The World Cup is still going on. The round of 16, it was Portugal and Switzerland today. 6-1 win. Here's the final call as uh, the Swiss got crushed. The final is here next Tuesday at Lucille in front of 90,000 fans. As that shot comes in, oh, Summer got beat. He got off balance, and it deflects or not. Rafael Leal adds the sixth. And an incredibly impressive statement made by Portugal tonight. Portugal 6, Switzerland 1. There's the final. John Strong, the voice of American soccer, on the call. Meanwhile, Morocco stunned Spain in PKs. Punch it. Said, I know where you're going. I speak Spanish. Wow. Makes the save. And that saved as well. Spain cannot score. Well, the star is being born in, right in front of our eyes. Three penalties, three saves for that. it is Morocco advances they'll play Portugal Saturday 7 a.m. the other quarterfinal matches will be England and France Croatia and Brazil and the Netherlands and Argentina who you guys got who wins this thing give me Brazil give me Brazil I uh, I'm actually in like a pick them type thing so I got Brazil going in my bracket I you got Brazil. Who do you like, Peter? I agree with you, but, man, I would love to see Morocco continue to catch fire, be the first African team to do it. That's who I'm rooting for, but Brazil, man, they're good. All right. Argentina and the Netherlands in the other part of that bracket if Brazil gets by. That's Punch It Audio coming up. Some parting thoughts again. Stick around in Portland on 750 The Game as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
If you want to read me, you can read me now exclusively at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing. Get a free subscription. Get a gift subscription for somebody that you're shopping for this Christmas season. Uh, get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. You can find out all about that by going to johnconzano.com. That's where you find me. Uh, for those of you uh, who are interested, tomorrow we are going to uh, be raising some money for kids in our community. I said earlier in the show, I really appreciate the team at Alpha Media, 750 The Game. They have been behind the BFT Foundation since the inception of it. I don't know that I would have got that support at any other media outlet. In fact, I know I wouldn't have got that support because I've worked at other media outlets that didn't appear to care about the nonprofit organization or didn't, you know, they were indifferent to it. Uh, the support that we have received for helping kids at, from Alpha Media is fantastic, including one of the auction items in tomorrow's Radiothon and Auction is advertising time on this show. So if you own a business and you're looking for some advertising and marketing and, you, you know, hey, I want to give it a test. Like, I, you know, I want to commit to a year or six months, but, but it'd be great to uh, buy a month and have it help some kids in the community. It's a great way to see if you can get some traction and to see if it works for you and see how it feels so you can try it on a little bit. So tomorrow on the show and tomorrow on the Bald Face Truth Foundation's website, baldfacetruth.org, there will be links to the auction items. You can get involved in that. I just want to thank Alpha Media. I want to thank Fox Sports Eugene and Steve and the team there. They uh, have bought in as well. Uh, we get a lot of callers and a lot of donations that come out of Eugene because the BFT Foundation is helping schools and kids and teachers and families in Eugene. And when the wildfires broke out, you remember that. It wasn't that long ago. And the wildfires broke out and there were families that were in need and schools destroyed. It was the BFT Foundation that sort of morphed into the role of helping some of the schools that had been really impacted and some of the families that had been impacted by the wildfires. And so that's what the organization's about. Um, you know, I'm not great at asking people for things. It's not really what I do. I'm a content creator. I'm a writer. I am a radio show host. I told somebody today who owns a business, I said, look, I'm not, I'm not great at asking you for donations. It's not because you know why? People are always asking me for things, and I know how annoying it can get when, you know, people say, hey, can you do this or can you do that? And at some point you kind of go, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of my time doing this other stuff, so I'm not good at asking. But so you know if I am asking you to help the BFT Foundation and make a donation, you can go to baldfacetruth.org. I'm asking you because I really believe in it, and I know it can make a difference, and I have seen the impact. Uh, for what is now 13 years. I have seen kids. I have seen school classrooms. I have seen families. Uh, I have seen uh, other organizations and teams all benefit from the impact of the money that we raise with this Radiothon and auction. So, you know, it, it does take an effort and it takes a team, but if you out there, are in a position where you're going, hey, we're looking to make a difference in our community. This is a great way tomorrow on the show for you to do that. And if you can't make it tomorrow on the show, just go to baldfacetruth.org, get a jump on it, make a donation, and it'll be included in tomorrow's total. So, you know, I've had some listeners on today's show already 
jump in and go, hey, I'm not going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to make a tax-deductible donation on the website, and that's awesome. But on tomorrow's show, we'll have some incentives for people who are donating. Uh, we will uh, we'll have uh, our volunteers standing by to take your phone calls and your pledges, and we'll also conduct a radio show. Jonathan Smith will be with us on tomorrow's program, among other guests. So it'll be a lot of fun. And I know I benefited from co-curricular activities. I know I played sports. I, you know, tried a musical instrument. I wasn't very good at it. Uh, I know that my classrooms went on field trips. And I know I probably took a lot of it for granted when I was in elementary school and junior high and high school. And I now look at schools and I go, man, they don't go on field trips anymore. Or they, if they do, they really have to be choosy about it and... They don't offer the kids a chance to play a musical instrument. And if you can't afford to rent an instrument, guess what? You're not going to learn how to play an instrument. And so we try to put musical instruments in the hands of kids. We try to create uh, opportunities in after-school programs. We try to fund summer camps and winter break camps for kids that uh, really need somewhere to go in the summertime. Maybe they've got a single-parent household that mom's working, or maybe uh, during the Christmas break they, uh, you know, they miss out on the school lunches that are important to them, the nutrition of that. And so the BFT Foundation is doing a lot of different little things. It's the little things, and you are the, you are the fuel for that. So if you have a chance on tomorrow's show to tune in, share the auction with people. If you see it on social media, retweet it, like it. Help out in any way that you can. Uh, appreciative of that and appreciative of everybody who has uh, ever donated or given a second thought or volunteered for the foundation. So thank you for that, and thanks to Alpha Media and Fox Sports Eugene and 1490 and Roseburg and 960 and Klamath Falls and everybody who's part of the network for buying into uh, an event that is important to me or feels important to me, must be important to me. Uh, Peter Sampson in the Pulse is coming up right here on 750 The Game. Uh, great show ahead. He's going to talk about the Blazers. Can you believe in what you're seeing now? Is it okay to trust what you're seeing now? I'd love to see the Blazers go on another run, make it fun again, stay relevant. Uh, for uh, for those of you who want a podcast of this show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast right now, just make a commitment. You know, Stephen, Peter, and the team do a great job podcasting the show, Judah as well, and making it available to you. Uh, if you would uh, you know, like to not miss something, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast because uh, you know, you'll be among 3 million people who listen to a podcast of this show in the next year. All right, I'm having fun. Jack Coletta was great on today's show. He's fantastic, Oregon State linebacker. I thought it was his best interview of the season. Damn it, he was good. So was John Wilner. Grab those podcasts. We're back tomorrow with Jonathan Smith on the program.